Give me the juice. Give me the rice. Give me the jam. Give me the juice. Give me the rice. Give me the jam. 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 He big dicked us with his little fuzzy mic. I keep wanting to like DM him. I'm like, yo, what mic is that? But I don't want to like. Uh, yeah, I didn't even have run. this mic then. I don't think I was just on fucking like Apple AirPods or some shit. Yeah, and not even AirPods. Like like dollar store headphones with a microphone on them. <laughs> no way, you're kidding. Yeah, I've never because my my shit's the one that's it. I have this fucking like Dell um podium here that sometimes it's like no not the airpods the fucking dell bullshit and that's when i sound <laughs> like a fucking 60 year old man being like why why pension i i don't think i think they should put them all on an island and nuke them <laughs> which like that's a pretty good sound quality to have but yeah we'll try the, I, uh... you should distort it in post mm-hmm. what are we drinking <laughs> Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. I got a fucking vodka crushed punch black fly. <laughs> black fly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Spanish oh yeah, it's fly. it's party time, baby. <laughs> are you at a <laughs> are you at your business associate's house? I am, I am. The, yeah, she's yeah. at work. But mm. so I, I got the whole place to myself. I can yell. Right. I'm not going to. <laughs> How many how many cats in this location? Only two. Only two. Okay. And I might have to you might hear me. Rookie. Yeah, I might have Rookie to pause, uh, uh mute myself and scream at them every now and then if they try to like <laughs> eat chemicals or whatever they do. Yeah, yeah. Oh fuck. Uh this guy should be Will should be hopping in. Um I told him EST. Who are we oh, doing because today? Because he's a Texan. He wrote a book. Oh, this is a great intro. Uh, he wrote a book, um, An Argonaut Sales for Jerusalem by H. Ellis Williams. And it's actually really good. I'm happy to support. What is it? Book. What kind of? Well, we're going we're gonna to get into all I that. I suppose. Uh, what the hell is an Argonaut anyways? An Argonaut is, uh, I know it from that movie, Jason and the Argonauts, where it's like, I think it's like a Grecian warrior. Oh. Where they fought the Greeks, and so it's like uh, <clears throat> our guest is well, I won't, I won't give it away, but uh, they're associated. They're they're the last um, fork of the American military <laughs> we have yet to talk about. So the super fans will know. We haven't had spoken. Air Force, have we? Well, Air Force is yeah, we did actually. You uh, weren't on that one, but. The Navy boys, like Air Force is, well, maybe the, the Air Force will write in, but there was a guy who like flew fighter jets, like, because they put them on those, uh, on the boats. So I think like. Air but that's a different thing. Like Navy, Navy has planes. The Air Force was invented after, I think, because they, I don't know, I wanted think... some other bullshit. But like the Navy was like 
they were like the plane guys and then yeah that's a good uh question is the air force a subsidiary of the navy or is it a fourth because there's the uh, the uh soldiers the american <laughs> army the marines hint Ooh, oh we're got we got a fucking marine we got a bona fide marine and one who knows how to read so that's actually that's twice as rare <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> let alone <laughs> read let alone write and write a snappy book like it's a good book i can't wait to uh hopefully hopefully he shows up <laughs> but otherwise you know <clears throat> we don't like books around here that's <laughs> Oh, and he's from Texas, so... Uh, oh, damn. Hopefully Gordo's not out. Our second... Being the w- wolf on a motorcycle. That's but... true. Oh, poor guy. I wonder what he's up to. <laughs> uh, he's... <laughs> yeah, I fell asleep. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was a good impression. <laughs> yeah, I tried. That's pretty good. I'm peeking. Yeah, my friend's dog. Was... <laughs> <laughs> that fucking dog. Me and the dog, like, smoke a bunch of weed. Oh, wow, this is a creaky-ass chair. Good lord. Yeah. I'm in a leather chair, so, like, with this new mic, it's going to sound like I'm ripping ass (laughs) if I shift around too much. Got a good excuse, though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh, somebody step on a duck? Yeah, stuff on a duck. That's a new one. And you uh, know what? I, I bet it would sound like that. Like those fucking little chicken toys or whatever. Yeah. My dad, my dad had a go-to line. It was really good. He would just like, do a huge one and be like, somebody farted in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, hell yeah. Because he was divorced, uh, obviously. You know? <laughs> no. Of course, you have to be to say something like that. Okay, Hank's having trouble. Uh, let's see, he's probably on a, he's probably on a Windows. He needs to be on Chrome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, is that a cat toy, or you found that on the old? That's a YouTube video called "Biggest and Loudest Rubber Chicken." <laughs> and you know what? It's pretty big. I, I, you can't call that the biggest rubber chicken. There's no way. Someone out there has made like a car-sized rubber chicken. This yeah, this one is like. A, I want one that like shatters windows and sets off car alarms. <laughs> yeah, this one's like wait, you wait, know, wait, wait. it's like a foot long maybe. But there's there's got to be bigger ones. Hang on, let's let's do a little research here. No, I'm just getting ads for rubber chickens. Here we go. I, f- I immediately found a bigger one. This one's fucking human-sized. Hang on. We gotta get this. World's largest rubber chicken. Since we are YouTubers as well, which I... Yeah, yeah. We've got, um, we're up to, like, 7,000 on the Wuhan one. And, uh, the, the upvotes 
the likes are starting to mat out outnumber the thumbs down on the twos. <laughs> That's good. I forgot YouTube had fucking ads, man. I've been spoiled by YouTube Premium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh, I updated my bank card, and then the, my YouTube Premium cut out, and I'm very much uh, missing. There's a big old fucking Walmart ad right here. What the hell? <laughs> Is there even a Walmart in Newfoundland? Yeah, there's plenty. Well, this is a Walmart-ass island. Mm. That See, look at that. That's pretty big. The other one I was looking yeah. at was, like, barely a foot long. <laughs> yeah. This looks like Zeb's setup here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh damn. Family-owned rubber chicken, man. Yeah, that's the kind that you put next to a cigar store on the highway. And- Absolutely. But see, is does this work as a rubber chicken, oh, or is this a statue? I remember these. Yeah, these weren't... I remember these things being, like, hard plastic. And you could, like, hit your brother with it and it would hurt, <laughs> but it didn't make a noise. It doesn't make a noise. It doesn't fucking count. That was... Yeah, that rubber chicken was a... I had that. I liked it when I was a kid. I had it. It was fucking hard plastic. <laughs> Richard Bonnet said, I have stood next to the chicken. It is amazing and somewhat frightening. Hell yeah. Apparently, you know, uh, Archie McPhee, this is like a rubber chicken museum or something. Yeah. Also racing babies. This is good because we can do like, you know, most, all those podcasts that, that suck, they have like 20 minutes of like, you know, the guests like they and they make it like a thing They're like i mean not the guests the the hosts doing their like oh no we have to like we have to sell ourselves but now we're just like doing it it's go uh, send money to archie mcphee that's what i'm selling <laughs> look at uh, but uh oh, i ran into a, played. a newfoundlander last night who uh big up the show she said she said she's been listening a lot and yeah, St. John's is one of our, they're in the top 10 listeners now. Oh, hell yeah, that's crazy. I'm just fucking playing that shit back to back. I'm trying to farm our numbers. I got uh, I got Elliot on the line and he's hooking uh, us <laughs> tens of thousands yeah, yeah. of Spotify <laughs> listeners. So you're going to see uh, fucking... Does Elliot sell Spotify listeners? Should we no, shout no. out Elliot? Uh... Absolutely. If you want to get... 20,000 Indian followers. Uh, find Elliot on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to give a specific at, I guess. Don't want to blow him up too much, but look, f- keep your eye out for an Elliot out there, and he'll, uh, he'll help you out. There is a guy, I really want to have him on. Uh, Techno Kural is an actual Indian shit poster. Like, when I, <laughs> like, he followed me and I thought he, I was like, oh, it's this, it's a bit where like a ship poster pretends to be an Indian guy, but <laughs> pretending to be a ship poster, but he's an Indian guy ship poster. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. But we need to have him on because yeah, like India, I think India just maxed out China as the most populous country. And I did yeah, some good uh, job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, did some, I did a problematic thing where I saw a cool Indian meme, like I associated it as like Indian, but it, all the writing was like Indian as I as I understand it, having like the the cultural knowledge of like an eighteenth century British guy. And so I sent it to him and I was like, what does this say? And he he like replied like 
he told me what language it was and then like just said like i'm this let me find it it's probably one of the last oh yeah 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 so i sent it to him oh yeah it was indian facts but written in what turns out to be hindi and uh he said i don't know hindi and i'm not much into these kind of vids so and then i felt really bad and i said my bad sorry i was a big fan but yeah he's uh oh yeah he's tamil the legendary tamils yo there's hank hey what's up welcome how's it going it's pretty good just some technical stuff i'm not technical so no 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 worries i'm hearing some echo i think you're hot in the cans can you uh what does that mean <laughs> 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 I just realized how uh, yo that sounded wi- yo that sounded wild though bro um so <laughs> so the cans are your headphones that you're wearing for the folks at home uh, yeah. hank's wearing uh and then radio they call them cans in radio, I, they can call hear, uh, I can hear my. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Gosh, let me try this one. That. Let me try a different one. I have a Bluetooth one. Hell yeah! Uh, it should be fun. There's a thing called echo cancellation oh, on the side, that. but you might have to rejoin. Okay. Does yeah. It say on the oh, echo cancellation. Turn that on. Can't yeah. Be so it won't. Recording. So oh, okay. you have to hop out and then hop back in and then see if it says echo cancellation. Okay. Give me a. When you rejoin, how do I hop out? Just uh, turn the whole. Just close your browser. No, no, don't listen. To Matt. <laughs> don't do don't that, Matt. <laughs> just uh, close you can the hit box. leave on the bottom. Oh yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> we are just Riverside. It feels like we're sat by a, a damn Riverside when we're doing these, having a little campfire. I don't know how good Riverside. I don't know how good you are. You fucking dickhead. I pay these assholes forty dollars a month. Then it's forty bucks bullshit. a month. Holy shit! Yeah, it's it sucks. Damn. But I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what else. Like, like have a Zoom call. I mean, like, it, yeah, or like you know, coordinate it, like another yeah. whole random person to like get audacity and record themselves mm-hmm. and. Hope that they'll check in, themselves. Mail <laughs> yeah, mail in on a floppy disk. <laughs> Just calling people on landlines and like pink away. <laughs> yeah, that could be good. That could be oh Wait. shit. <laughs> oh, it came anyway. Or and you know, instead of forty bucks a month, how much would it cost to just fly out a guest and just do one uh, a month? That's where we're going. You know, we'll be like Joe Rogan with his Mongolian uh, palace out in Texas. Excuse Does he me, have a shit. big old? Is he? Didn't Elon Musk? Didn't like a Tesla thing move to Texas and now they moved back to California? Every, probably. Yeah. Yo. Is it still doing it? A little Maybe. bit. See, Matt, you should um, you should get one of these remote uh, customer service jobs because it's basically doing <laughs> what we do when we help the guests. You get paid like like sixty grand a year. It's That's pretty true. Good. But I would just like start harassing old people <laughs> i would scam them i would be like oh so yeah. you're gonna want to open your bank website can you just pull out that plastic card in your wallet and, uh, <laughs> yeah i just yeah. What, I need what's, your 16 credit card numbers to like identify what's your email password sure <laughs> 
They wouldn't even know. They'd have to go find it fucking written in the phone book somewhere. <laughs> so my, you, get my... Their, you get in their email, it's just Bazzy, like, asking them for money. Yeah. And they have been. They're already drained out. That's the thing. If if you're going to scam, I don't know. It must be hard to find scam scammer, like, marks, you know? Well, it's like a numbers game. They do it all yeah. damn day. Because if you get one, then you can just, like, suck out, like, $40,000. But see, that's, that's, I don't know. But they're all fucking broke as shit, you know what I mean? That's, that's like, not a good, uh, I don't think they <laughs> have a good thing people? going. No, the fucking scammers. The Nigerians. Yeah, They're yeah, all, yeah. like, you know. When well, they, they can... probably get, if you get caught, you probably get executed. Or... <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's, like, yeah. a state <laughs> job in <laughs> India. You become, you become the mayor. <laughs> I think that's, like, a government job in, like, fucking 30% of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brazil runs on that. That's what... That's why their leader is always phoning in sick. He's like, oh, I have COVID. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, shitting myself. I think, I don't know. But, but you know, they're all fucking broke as shit playing like that. You got to pick one person. You got to really game them, you know? Mm. I guess that's what the sort of, uh, like, fake love. What's what's that word? Like, love scammers. What's the name for it? I don't know. Something oh, like... catfishers? Yeah, yeah. Like, those sort of... Uh... I guess that's what they do, is they get, like, one or two people, and then they really just game them over. Mm. It's so tempting to try to do that. There's this one fucking old lady who's always liking my fucking TikToks and posting about being, like, fucking sad and alone. Really? And, and I'm... Your, your grandmother? No, <laughs> no. But, like... It's and like she's it's a, she's a real she's clearly a real person because she's like posting uh, all the time, but it's like she's making herself such a mark that like I almost feel bad not going mm. in and taking advantage. You know what I mean? This is the thing. Like, um, there's most of the economy is scamming the elderly who no one visits. But even with my own grandmother, uh, it was this thing where her church. Actually, and I had a teacher who did this, and it felt very unethical <laughs> to me. They made they would uh, start a company that specialized in old people clothing, and they would go to like Anglican churches or Presbyterian churches. Yo, now it sounds good. You did it. Hell yeah, yeah, it sounds. What did you do? What did you do? Hey, is it working? <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, Dude, what the hell, hell is a Presbyterian? We're gonna get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they like? Not eat fish or only fish? Oh, hey, that's so crazy. We're talking about Presbyterians. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's pescatarian or something like that. It's like a. Or pescatarians. That's people who eat fish and veggies. No, Presbyterians are the. They're from the Scottish Reformed Church, is actually. They're kind of connected to Calvinism. Mm. Oh, they, they really are. And then John oh, Knox started the Scottish I didn't know it was church. Scottish and specific. And then the Catholic Queen of England got mad, and it was a whole thing. Yes, it actually is specifically yeah. very Scottish. That's why it was so involved in the Revolutionary War, uh, the American Revolutionary War. So, like a lot of people at the time <laughs> considered see the this is the thing because they were so I've Scottish. I've been talking to, be to some the Scottish the people on here, and so, I know American Scottish is different than. Uh, Scott, like real Scottish, normal Scottish. Mm-hmm. 
Because Canada, we have a lot of Scottish, like uh, Norm Macdonald. Well, not Scottish. Really <laughs> was, is a Scottish, Scottish fella. But I, yeah, I know nothing. Oh, yeah. I, I always was disappointed in the Scots because oh. I'm like, the Irish are out here like blowing shit up. But then I thought about it more and I was like, well, the Scottish were all barbarians, like fucking destroying everything a thousand years thousand years ago to like 500 years ago just the worst people and and they got out of their it's like when a kid's like a bully in like kindergarten or grade one they're generally very nice when they're yeah. an adult and the irish the <laughs> irish were like nerds and then they're like we're not we're not gonna put up with this anymore we're gonna blow up your house and now it's all like i'm like yeah you're it's like they be the irish became crips when they were 25 it was a little <laughs> they're just friends like pent up scottish yeah yeah the Scottish were out here like <laughs> shooting, a... doing drive-bys at twelve years old on a bicycle. So, yeah, respect to the Scots. And um, you're, are you coming it's to us from Texas? Yeah, Hank? respect. Hell yeah, dude, Houston. Okay, we our yes, other I member of the pod is uh, in Dallas. We hope he shows up, but he's very mysterious. Um. <laughs> So now, yeah, I'll I'll trim down. Awesome. I mean, it's we've had How some good he? banter coming into it, um, but I'll I'll trim it down a little bit. But let's get a good intro on who we're speaking with. We're speaking with H E Ellis is your literary name, but I'll let you do the heavy lifting and tell us who you are, what you're about. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, all right. All right. Well, I'm Hank. I. Uh... I'm a veteran from the United States Marine Corps. I write a lot, and I, right now I run a, a page on Instagram, which kind of has gained me a little bit of an audience, which has definitely helped uh, very recently in getting some sort of like audience because, of course, publishing is very different nowadays than it was however many years ago, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's just so mm-hmm. changed. You can't. There's, it's an impenetrable thing. You have to create your own audience. Um, so right now everything is very self-made every the style and everything else mm-hmm. and uh the crowd baiting is of course extremely extremely new to everyone in fact i would argue that books nowadays specifically that are published independently are a different medium oh you're absolutely the, right the traditional novel they just are because they're so specifically niche <laughs> um yeah I'm sure you would agree with that. I mean, you've seen how the internet has, I mean, y'all talk all about how the internet changes. Yeah. Well, and so also it's something that I continue I know, to so. champion and will but, always be happy to like, there's no, there's no free lunch in this world. So I'm always happy to buy folks at kids at home, anything you publish on Amazon, uh, auto printing, I will buy because I've talked about it before and I'm fascinated. Like, Amazon does all this shit as like tax write-offs, but it allows you, the frustrated <laughs> man at home who knows how to use guns, a way to like express yourself in a way that's very cool. Yeah. Um, and I don't say <laughs> that in uh, like anyone can express themselves, but I'm very happy that a veteran, um, outside of patriotic yeah, reasons, just because that voice, it's like the voice of a. Uh, well, we've never even really had it when we have like. Um, you know, the classic male writers like our boy, uh, Ernest Hemingway, he was just a journalist and he was really like, <laughs> he, he was a crip at 25 years old too. Yeah. Cause he's, but I really like it because like he reading your book, at 25 it's, years a, old. it's a very, like, 
and I won't front like I'm I haven't read as much as I'd like to, but I've read the first 30 pages and it is like I'm like, oh, shit, like that's Hank okay. knows what he's doing. And it's a cool style. And I really enjoy it. Like, it reminds me a bit of like, Thank I you. would pitch it as like Haruki Murakami if he was a veteran or something like that. And because uh, I like, yeah. And we're we'll get we'll get into all that Thank for you. a bit because we know the Thank kids at so home much. haven't read it yet. But wow, the the goal is like go check out an Argonaut, an arrogant guy yeah. sails to Jerusalem is uh, the book. No, an Argonaut <laughs> sails to Jerusalem, and uh, we're gonna get into what it's about. Yes. And I'm gonna steal some tips on like how to get get started writing a novel, and um, also yeah, putting it out because. Um, is here it's great there's no typo way less Absolutely. typos than a lot of other self-pubs that i've come across so but <clears throat> yeah so can you summarize you. a little bit the long yeah like where you started what got you into writing and uh what yes. you're trying to do now oh really well sadly theorygram actually got me into writing which is kind of the low bar that we're at right now, you know, it takes very niche things to get you involved in something as broad as writing. Um, but that really brought me into it. And but of course, before that, I did write a lot. I wrote poetry um, since I was about 13 or 14. And it was just a private thing. It's always been a very private thing. I think writing is supposed to be private um, as it exists nowadays. Um, it's just how accessible it is to write. I think everyone should be writing. And it was something that was sort of a, just a, a, like an outlet, you know, I think emotional outlet is a good word for it. You know, that sounds like a therapy word, but I think that works. And I think that moving from poetry to a novel was this sort of the next step after I kind of exhausted um, a sense of release from poetry. I was like, I know I can do more than this. So I wanted to do more. So it's, it's the same, I think, as in, you know, if you were a music writer or if you were a painter, obviously you're going to move from sketching to more in-depth. Um, in-depth works it's the same thing it's art so that's that it was a slide obviously it was kind of a you know it's always a progression into something like this and it's always gonna be a a game of learning it yourself you know because you can read as much as you want to about how to write or you can read other people's works but once you really dip your toes in it that's when you start to understand oh my gosh i have all of this freedom and the page really is as blank um as blank as it is until i put something there that's um I think hopefully that mm. gives people an impetus to begin writing what I'm saying here. It doesn't just give you an idea about who I am or something like that. Cause it's, it's never really that special what the author goes. I, I shouldn't say that whatever you've got on your mind that you want to write, is going to be extremely special to you and to other people who read it, who care about you. And especially if it just resonates with them, but I don't want anybody to think that like, Oh, my particular story is something that can't happen to you. Anybody can write. Anybody can just like anybody can pick up an instrument. Anybody can pick up a paintbrush. And the skill doesn't come necessarily from something that just comes from you from birth. It can, I guess. There's people who are naturally talented, but it, it'll be hard work, whatever you do. And I, I think that if, it, if you're on the fence about it, just start. Yeah. You know, you've got a notes app. Just start do chapter one and just go for it. You know, and whatever comes to you, however bad it is, just uh -huh. keep going. Yeah. You can always come for back sure. and change like, it. Um, but you can't undo so you years started of not poetry at, at 13, which is like, and Matt, I think you can relate. Like Matt, you're mostly like a well, you're a music guy and a graphic designer, painter guy. 
Um, oh, I'm barely painted ever. I just like paintings. Right. You, you do really like paintings. Yeah, you're always sharing <laughs> them. But I, I was a music guy first and foremost. Well, like I always liked reading and writing. And um, my dad always read me books when I was going to bed as a kid. And uh, kids at home, if you have kids, like read them books, like same. Read them Treasure Island. Read them like bigger kid books, and it yes. does make your kids smarter. Kids who weren't read to, don't worry, you can you can do it on your own. But it's like it is like so. That's always like it, yes, literature should be there. But that's interesting at like thirteen that you were like I'll write poems because it's. Like, poems are cool, but I feel like people are insecure. Like, I wanted to learn instruments because I'm like, oh, this is like, oh, this will impress people. I'll show them it's cool. But for you, was it of it? It sounds like it was a personal private thing. Was that the case? Yes. Actually, the first poem I wrote, I put it away somewhere. and My mom discovered it a few months later and asked why it had the, uh, she said, this is great. Why'd you, um, or she didn't ask why, obviously, <laughs> but. I still came up with an excuse. I was like, oh, it was for homework or something. It wasn't. And it was a poem about an ant hill that I came across, of all things. I, I don't remember any of the lines. I just remember specifically it being about an ant pile and the decision whether to destroy it or not. And for some reason, that is kind of the thing that launched this. Either that or my nice. mom discovering it and telling me that it was good and her sending it to my aunt <laughs> or something. an English teacher. And, so, and was it, you know, was it then, like being told it was good? Did that make you like want to go do more of it and be like, oh, this is something I should do kind of thing? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I hope I would hope to that, like, even if my Just mom was like, wow, this, this sucks. <laughs> Hopefully I would still have wanted to do yeah. it. But I have to say, I yeah, don't know mom, what like, would have happened if that was the kind of thing in my house. Like, gay for said. five years. <laughs> <laughs> a little gay boy wants to regress <laughs> his right phone. <laughs> but there's a lot of, hey, gay, but to the gay guys at home, there's a lot of gay, great gay guy writers too. Lorca, Bukowski is a big Lorca fan. And um, it takes all kinds. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you drinking uh, over there? We, we did a little, yeah, little yeah. drink We're checks. Oh, we're drinking Red Bulls. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, oh, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, you mentioned the, the sugar-free in your book, because you know, I'm a so health I'm like, Oh, obviously, Hank's on. Hank's done keto. I've done keto. Is it because oh, yeah. the buns are chalky, or was it because you were on keto when you? Mm. That was. Because <laughs> right, the buns are chalky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not from California, so it was a specific. It was about the in and out, wasn't it? The that's one of those things i actually like about that's that what book, i can tell a lot of it was I based on from real the things detail, around here like the, obviously um, because you know the mary, about what you know the mary uh necklace which this will all be the the character is in a what i take is like a thrift shop or some i don't know what they have in texas just like stores that sell old pots and pans but you take this uh this like it sounds like a bootleg syrian mary is how I'll butcher it. But I know, like, just to describe that it looks like a locket, but I, but it isn't, I'm like, oh, this is an actual important thing that yeah. Hank had. Is what I like to project on you. Am I accurate? Well, well, it's not something I, important that I had, but I think that um, that's funny because that wasn't really something specific to anything that had happened to me at all. But um, I think that details like that come out whenever you've been to a place like that and you've seen things like that. 
and then just incorporating into things. Because I think that when people think they have to base everything off of a life event, they're going to run out <laughs> of life events very quickly because most people just aren't interesting. I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people. I just don't have enough to go off of to create a crazy, um, crazy story that will keep people turning the page. Um, so incorporating the things is more important. Incorporating in and out and chalky, you know, buns and stuff like that. That's where a lot of the realism comes out because it's talking about something that's a specific grievance that other people might have or maybe you have. And then you just throw it, you smatter it in there. The important thing isn't to weigh it down. The important thing is to, you know, formulaic, formulaic, what you would think, what you'd expect from the writing. You just keep doing that. And then you throw in that little detail, the chalky buns or it looked, I thought it would, you know, the whole thing about, oh, I thought it would look like my grandma's, uh, was it, uh, Virgin Mary. But it looked like the Syrian one. So from that, you immediately know, okay, he's a little bit Hispanic. <laughs> Things like that. I'm not Hispanic. Yeah. That's, I don't think that's, I don't think that's yeah. stereotypical at all. That's, no, no, it's fine. So yeah, it is, but. Before we get too yeah, specific, so I, what is yeah. this book? It's not a historical account of Jason and the Argonauts, I assume. <laughs> no. Tell us a little about the book. Yeah. Tell it. Pretend you're talking to a bunch of Adderall riddled uh, people who, who are listening to this podcast, so they they don't have to deal with their personal thoughts and uh, <laughs> sell them on the Absolutely. book. Absolutely. So, okay. So, an Argonaut sails to Jerusalem is a coming of age story specifically, and then when you get into the broader details, theological in nature. So, the plot itself follows a young man grows up around Houston, um, specifically Pearland. If you've been to Houston, you'll know that's kind of close to Sugarland. It's a little better to do area he grows up without a, for the first part of his life with a dad the book is addressed to his dad um, from the get-go but obviously his dad is gone because now he is not existent in the book itself and most of his time he spends um sort of in the shadow of the pastor who his mom works for and he works at the church too he just does custodial stuff and over the course of the book, the plot centers around that relationship really and how he is betrayed by this person who he thinks is somebody that he's not. The, the past, he thinks the pastor is this real stand-up guy, and then he, within the first 30 or 40 pages or so, I think you must have gotten to it already, he finds out, oh, this is not who I thought he was. And things spiral from there, and he acts a little crazy, as people do at that age, about it, you know, overreacts, and eventually it leads him towards... Um, it leads him towards this tw this twist where he ends up having to get conscripted uh, into the armed forces, you know. So this is a slightly, slightly futuristic, you might say, like maybe in the next five to ten years where there's a completely made. Yeah, it's a completely, I mean, it's not like futuristic, like sci-fi, right? But it's like there's a conflict in Spain. Yes. So it's a conflict in Spain going on. It mentioned a couple times the first 50 or 60 pages. It's it's foreshadowed, but not like all about this. And then so he gets conscripted because he gets in trouble because he's acting bizarre and he flips out on this guy. And so instead of them sending him to jail, they're like, you know what? We're going to do this thing. You can get conscripted instead. So he does that. And then while he's away, that's where he has this journey of self-discovery where he meets this guy and they go AWOL, which means for the folks at home just means, you know, they flee the line of duty and they go do their own thing for about a month or two before they get taken back home and you know there's this yes i won't spoil too much more than that but after that and uh but the the major relationships that exist in the book is the relationship between him and that pastor and then the relationship or the pseudo relationship there and then the real relationship between him and that pastor's mm -hmm. daughter 
who he's romantically involved with who he doesn't necessarily um, treat very well. And wow. so there's a lot of stuff that comes out about the person through those relationships. Well, um, but the yeah. title itself comes from a meta, it's a metaphor because um, the way that salvation works, and this is where it becomes a theological project, um, the way that salvation works, and this is while we were talking about Presbyterianism earlier, this is an important thing to me especially, is that there's a couple of concepts about who God is. Well, there's many concepts, but two that are kind of dueling concepts about God within Christianity, especially within the last 50 to 100 years, is the nature of who God is. If God is who he is because of what he does, or if God could do anything he wants and he'd still be God. Um, but the fact of the matter is, uh, with the, the side that I'm on is, of course, that God is who he is because of who he is, and he couldn't do what he does if he wasn't who he was. And so to say that he could do anything else would be to say that God is something that he isn't. And this all sounds very heady, but this is kind of a big debate that's gone on within Presbyterianism about whether God is so involved with man and with time and with who man is and who he's created man to be, whether or not that's intrinsic to who God is. And the point of the book is that even when you're not trying to be that person that follows who God is, God is the one who chooses you. And so the idea of an Argonaut sailing for Jerusalem is a sort of flip twist kind of a thing because you are set up with the Argonaut and then you end up with the idea of Jerusalem. And we all know in the New Testament, the people who go to Jerusalem are the people who are destined to die. Paul goes there before getting sentenced to go to Rome to die. Jesus is, um, decides to go to Jerusalem knowing he's going to die. Um, yeah. Death isn't a huge plot point in the book, but the point being that that's where the crux of Christianity lies. Um, is in the idea of death, the idea of renewal yeah. through death. Um, that's where the title comes from, because the whole book, you're getting a lot of theological introspection from this character through little tidbits in conversation and inner thoughts and in the relationships that he has with these people and how fragile they are. The, one Absolutely. of the reasons I was happy to shell out uh, $15 for this book was that title like it's just a hard title like an argonaut sales to jerusalem and uh like i shared i shared the meme where it's like what was your my favorite part when the argonaut sails to jerusalem duh and uh a bunch of people liked it who i'm like you have on god's green earth you have no idea what this is referencing as i don't either but it's like it's like <laughs> like that's why like uh old walter benjamin old benjamin is he's like yo fuck the metaphor sometimes you're just saying shit because it sounds hard but yeah i had this book of like science fiction covers and it was a it was a painting of a fucking like Chechnyan or like a Russian guy, like sniper shooting a guy in the face in, in front of an igloo. And I was like, yo, this is sick. Oh. And the name of the science fiction book was called Run, Come See Jerusalem. And uh, I, I started huh. a shitty ass math rock band called that with my friends. And uh, yeah, you're yeah. kidding. That is so and, funny. Uh, we're just like that. Shit sounds hard. And it is like, yeah, Jerusalem's just a place you wind up at, and then some like bad shit happens. Yeah, it's like, and then like the beat poets knew it with like Golgotha and things like that. But um, and it's yeah, like I've been uh, and not to make it sound retarded, but it's like I've been reading the Bible. And and also the apocrypha, which was kept alive in like Ethiopia, oh, really? and all the like all the language in the Bible like sounds hard, like it sounds cool, and um, 
Yeah. But it is we've had a lot of guests for fortunately a lot of the like living sects of Christianity. Like uh our friend of the pod, Nick Zalea, is a staunch Orthodox. He was Russian he was wow. Russian Orthodox and they switched to no he was Greek Orthodox and switched to Russian. I might I might have got this reversed, but because one of the Orthodoxies were being uh they're being cucks about uh, getting the vaccination. You know, like that. <laughs> so I, I support, sure, really? support that because it's a made up virus. I kind of yeah. support that too. That's kind of, that does go hard. Don't take, <laughs> don't take the devil's chip. But, and uh, for him, he's orthodoxy. He really sold me on the beauty of orthodoxy. So I'm ready to be sold on the beauty of uh, mm-hmm. Presbyterianism. There's not a lot of that beauty. <laughs> But then, so Matt, Matt is from Newfoundland, which is like, will be remembered as the new Jerusalem. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, first point of contact between worlds of of sorts. I don't know. There's got to be something religious there, maybe. Fucking French people. Irish people. Don't get me started on the fucking French people. All of Canada is just like, what do we do with the Newfoundland problem? (laughs) (laughs) They they control our media. (laughs) They do, though. Like, there's Rick Mercer. All our media people are from Newfoundland. And then, like... And the people that aren't from Newfoundland are secretly from Newfoundland. Justin Trudeau, he's a fucking Newfie. He's a crypto newbie. I've done, I've done, a, I've done a lot of research on pictures of him and pictures of his face and his skull shape. He's from Newfoundland. He's from fucking Gander, man. And he was born a woman. Take a gander at that. Take a gander at those hits. <laughs> so you mentioned, um, you mentioned theory, Graham, and um, also we were talking a little bit. We were talking about lit on uh, a certain website called 4chan <laughs> which we'll we'll get into that but what about twitter oh yeah it's such a fucking angry site i love instagram no. because there's no angry people i can delete all yeah. the angry people i can delete all the angry people in my comments i do it all the time if you're listening to this and you came here from a channel from a following my page it has 18,000 like the I'm gonna delete yeah, dude, the comment if you, you say something 18, rude about me. I'm just you gonna have 18, do it. You eighteen thousand, and I don't even want to say this. I don't even want to say this in like a hater way. Um, but then I read the book, and I was like, yeah, no, this actually makes it because when we met, you had like four K, I think, or five K. Yes, mate, probably three K. No, I followed you since I close to when I started. I think so I, that was fresh. I followed yeah. you. I followed you for like probably four years or so. Cause I would just, Hell yeah. yes. Yeah, no, so I'm, I'm serious. I mean, I probably didn't interact with your channel a whole lot or your channel, your page a whole lot, but you'd post some stuff. It'd be pretty funny. I feel like my way of describing your page is like, I want to like, I always want to introduce you to my followers and be like, this is your favorite meme account, uh, meme admins, favorite meme admin, because I feel like you are like, you're like the Ezra pound <laughs> compared to the T.S. Eliot's. Hell yeah. If that makes sense. I like sense. both. You're the organizer. Pounds. Oh, and then you bring up Spain, so he's a little problematic. But my favorite meme account is Matt. But Matt's too. Oh, yeah. Matt's too ahead of the curve. Which one's yours, Matt? Matt's. <laughs> Matt changes his name every fucking three months. Right so now, I'm just Beta Verse Pod. 
Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's so, okay. I thought you were one of those selectual things, like sell the sell actuals, not. Oh, good. Okay. You no, like I, those? Do. I do. I thought those I were do. so funny. There was like eight of them. I remember. I remember that's when and I started. Say, like, I love that's, living that's... life. I remember. Yeah. I... One of those still makes like parody books or something. I didn't know oh, yeah, anything later. about any of yeah. that shit. I started a fucking meme account because there's this some guy, there's this guy uh, locally who uh, fucking made this huge account and he's like a millionaire off it now. It's called like fucking meme.ig or some bullshit. It's li- and he, he literally just posts like satisfied, I don't know, just like the lowest common denominator bullshit. But he got like millions of followers and he makes like fucking bank off the ad money. And I was like, damn, I know a lot about memes. I can fucking do that. <laughs> so I- <laughs> he has he has 10 million followers. Yeah. That's in Newfoundland? Yeah, That's yeah. Insane. Fucking Mark Rose or Brent Rose. I don't know. There's two brothers, but. Uh... What's his do? Are they like your classmates? No, they... no. They're just like local guys. And everyone sort of. Everyone sort of knows them. <laughs> yeah, we go to <laughs> elementary school together. No, everyone just sort of knows them uh, locally. <laughs> And they're fucking. They have like really obnoxious cars, and uh, they're they're easy to recognize. Oh wow! Some Lambos, some yeah. And I was like, man, every now and then I do see a fucking Lamborghini, and it's like, what's the fucking point, man? Our roads are not good enough for that shit. (laughs) And you got all these, you got all these like methed out criminals in this fucking rock. Not even that. It's the potholes. (laughs) Like it's (laughs) not even. It's not even like Mad Max here or anything. Like it's pretty. pretty Wouldn't safe and calm them? no it's just it's no? potholes potholes are the fucking problem our roads are not good enough to drive a nice car like i had done one year at college didn't really feel like going back and my excuse was that it was a mission opportunity like you know like uh when you're a christian and you're young you want to do missions and so quote unquote missions always has to reinterpret into some sort of concept from the 1850s for the kids at home oh go ahead i think mormons when i hear missions because i know that oh so it doesn't have to be mormons i just think yeah this is a general christian thing with evangelicalism or evangelicals in general is that you know you think of missions as like i have to go to a certain set of people and like preach to them and it wasn't necessarily like that obviously it was more like i want to like live a christian lifestyle around people that obviously need to hear the gospel and i think for a lot of tents and purposes it did um serve as an opportunity it was just more of an opportunity for me to stray away from that in the end of the day and i think that it was one of those things that ended up serving myself more than it served any purpose that i put over that one second i'll be right back i'm gonna be right back one sec i'm gonna take this opportunity to go pay- so i guess my my religion obviously it is presbyterianism but more generally just you know protestant christianity which of course believes in the you know if you it, it's the whole John 3.16 phenomenon where after a certain point in time in evangelical history, a lot of faith kind of centers around this idea that as long as you believe in Christ Jesus and in what he did on earth, that's what gets you into heaven. And so that's kind of a baseline platform for what a lot of Christianity is nowadays within the evangelical circle, within the whole like, you know, American mm-hmm. Christianity that is non-Catholic, non um, well, Presbyterianism, I want to say, is the most intellectual side of American Christianity, as we know, as most American, like very American, like from the revolution, American Christianity. Um, it really was a backbone of thought behind 
do we have the right to go kill um, our countrymen? Because at the time they considered themselves Englishmen, right? Do we have the right to kill our fellow countrymen who don't live in the colonies in order that we can create? Yes. I mean, obviously that's a part of it. Yes. Well, that's a part of every debate about killing, obviously. That's the that's one of those things that's like at the back of everyone's mind when you're talking about that. But specifically for Presbyterians in the American Revolution was, you know, how do we justify us going and killing our own countrymen to create our own nation apart from them? And where in the Bible does that allow us to do that? And there's all sorts of uh, an intellectual history to that. And it goes back before that, obviously, with, you know, Plymouth and the pilgrims who are not Presbyterian. They are Puritans. It's just different. but a lot of what the Puritans, the Presbyterians believe is all very in line with this extremely well thought out and super organized um, Protestant thought, which it's super organized and extremely um, brick by brick because it comes from John Calvin, who was himself a French, uh, a Frenchman who went to Switzerland during the Reformation. Yes, John Calvin was a Frenchman. No, Calvin, Calvinists are very, there's many, many Dutch Calvinists. Um, most of the 1800s, extremely intellectual, um, 19th century intellectual, uh, not Presbyterians, Dutch Reformed, um, makes up a lot of the history of the intellectual side of Presbyterianism as well, um, as like Dutch Reformed um, and Reformed, Presby- Reformed Baptists take from a lot of that too. Sorry, we're getting all over the place with this. Um, but with the uh, there is a reason there's a lot of dutch people i i can't think right now this second some dutch guys who are very prominent but i have some of their books somewhere on this wall next to me for sure yeah it's it's van names it's all the van names um perhaps i couldn't really divide it that well well, there's a few denominations. Yes. A little bit. Well, it becomes that sometimes. It does become that. Within American culture, it becomes that. It becomes a, the buffet thing of what you're talking about. Of like, I'm going to take some of this, and I'm not really going to believe a lot of that. Because there's not really... But the people don't realize, and this is what I just had to discover on my own in my own investigation into Catholicism and whatnot, is the Catholics are like that too. You can talk to a Catholic off the street, and they're gonna chant nine times out of ten, they're not gonna really know how to answer you if you ask them, ask them a very basic and fundamental question about their faith. They're not really gonna know how to answer it. And the same applies to press, uh, not Presbyterians. I think a lot of Presbyterians are very like, not saying that they're better because of it, but they're extremely. Heady to the point that sometimes it gets in the way of the actual work of the gospel. Not all the time, but uh, for instance, my, I, there's a, uh, someone very close in my life who was a, um, a pastor for a long time for the Presbyterian Church. He's extremely, um, extremely down to earth man, you know, loves people where they're at. And, you know, he loves the intellectual side, but it all serves the purpose of loving people um, as Christ loved us. Um, Whereas some people, it just, it becomes entirely intellectual, right? But I mean, Protestants in general are a lot like Catholics in general, where they're kind of going to decide on their own, even if it's not, they're not supposed to, right? So. Is Hegel something that like the Presbyterians and the Scottish Presbyterians generally 
are happy to associate with, or is that your own insight, your own research? Yeah. Well, you have his quote on the first page. You quote Hegel, George Bataille, oh, and George Costanza. And I like all three of those yes, people. Yes, the three yeah. Georges. Bataille, I'm a huge yes. Bataille fan. I'd... Oh, yes, he's very but visceral. Your character yes. also brings up Hegel in, uh, I think, in the flea market scene when they're, like, wandering around. Yes. Something like that, yeah. I know he mentions it because I wanted to make him kind of a, an annoying person. Oh, okay. I like having an annoying protagonist. So is Hegel, like... Uh... That's a character development, or is Hegel important to you? Something that falls away, hopefully, as if someone's character gets better. Mentioning him casually, I, I mean. Um, no, I feel like for, for Hegel, he's not really something... I wish he was more interacted with, um, it, to answer your question truthfully, I really do wish he was more interacted with on the theological side of things, because I think he has so much influence in the world today. His thinking does, and I wish that Protestants had picked up on that and how important it would be to interact with his... Um, work from the get-go that's why i do like some there's some christian guys that i follow still on instagram and youtube who talk about him to a very small niche audience and <laughs> no i don't think it's actually i really think that if you're you know for the purpose of talking about it you know and that's you've said about like this is what i want to talk about you know that's fine um but with hegel it's very it's a very sticky thing because he considers himself Christian, he considers himself Protestant, he considers himself Lutheran. He just doesn't believe outwardly in a lot of, it, it, ostensibly he doesn't believe in any of the important parts of that. Um, and he talks about, he says very rude, at the time what you would consider very rude things about Christianity or rude things about faith, but seem to be rude, which probably could be interpreted as not rude, but realistic because he's German. He's he's blunt, yeah. Before they invent, before the powers of be invented yeah. autism, it was just unlikable, and the Germans had a uh, <laughs> a majority on that. But then, I guess it's more. I'm curious. Like, so then, should your writing be thought of with your faith, or the writing is separate from it? I wanted. I I would hope that anybody could pick it up, enjoy it, have no idea about the whole faith thing and still it be an enjoyable story with a cool plot and a fun character who develops into a much better mm -hmm. person by the end of it. I would hope that would be what stands out the most. I want my writing to stand out the most, not, I not, Oh, you can't read that until you understand what he believes about this, 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 yeah. and that I would, cause if somebody told me that about a person, I would put that <laughs> back on the shelf. Like I'm not yeah. doing that. That is not worth my time. As unless maybe it had a hard title, like an Argonaut sales to Jerusalem, which, at least I had that going no, for yeah. me. Yeah. But um, definitely, definitely, I think that any writer who is worth their salt or wants to be worth their salt one day, which is me right now, would try to write something that is just so enjoyable. You don't even have to think about what this guy believes about X, Y, or Z. It's just very real. That's how I feel reading Vonnegut, McCarthy. Um, yeah, Cormac McCarthy oh, yeah. and like uh, really any decent writer. I mean, I feel like, honestly, like you could probably read a couple of Colleen. I, I haven't picked her up, but Colleen Hoover books, I feel like you could pick her up and not really think you need to read anything else to understand it. And that's to the point, you know, she seems very to the point from what I've heard about her, even though she's very non-descriptive and just kind of dives in. I mean, heck, and her and his Hemingway mm. was the same. He was very timid about giving details. Um, so I just think that like 
if your plot and your writing style are catchy enough that somebody wants to read it, that's what makes you a good writer. And I think that that's what I want to be known most um, about my writing if, more than anything else is that it's something worth reading. Um, but all that other stuff, I just hope is something that can be picked up on it. I think that over the course of reading a whole book, you can't help but see that there's something under the surface there. Um, and I think it's pretty easy to find what's under the surface, hopefully with the way that I've structured the mm -hmm. story. But I'm also very curious because like we continue to have um, members of the American Armed Forces on the show. And it's just become a fun consistency the metaphysics of the base of betaverse remains like undecided so we we but faith keeps on emerging we're a military and I do think... for sure at this point absolutely <laughs> cia yeah, core we're uh we're promoting um yeah all sects of christianity well we should find some muslim guests soon we'll we'll get them on but uh I'm very curious about your um, time with the Marines as well. So, because we've gone over, faith was very important. Literature was very important. Poetry was very important. Poetry was more private. Have you shared poetry? Have you published poetry or that's for you kind of thing? Is how you feel? I put it out there sometimes. I used to put it out on my mm. story here and there, like on the story from my Instagram back before I had a bunch of followers. and. Um, I did post probably a couple times when I only had a few thousand followers and it would get like maybe 50 or 60 likes. Yeah, poetry you know? can be, and, you know, people were interested. They were can like, uh, we're not all rupee cower. We can't hit those dingers like rupee does, no. but shout out rupee. I wish I could be like a rupee cower with my poetry. Honestly, she's somebody to live up to. If she's the new Bukowski. There. Like I love a Tessa most. She Everyone's like, she's a new and she defends Bukowski. So shout out Tessa. But Rupee's like the yeah, celebrity absolutely. poet, like out here doing her thing, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, and honestly, if you hate on Rupee Kaur, you don't deserve to be as famous <laughs> as she is, and yeah. you don't have to worry about being as famous as she and is. Like so it or not, you you're being punished for your own opinion. Sorry, yeah, like it or not, none of us will be uh, Rupee. So shout out to Rupee, come on the Betaverse. <laughs> but absolutely with the Marines. Do you remember what brought you there? Like when you were like, I need to be a Marine. Could you explain that? Oh, yeah. So um, I think I started talking about it and I got sidetracked. So it was something about it was something between like, I don't really feel like going back to school after doing it for a year. And I was also it was between that and like, I really don't um, or I really don't feel like I'm doing anything fulfilling right now. And I feel like that would be it would be more fulfilling to be in the Marines, not because I'm going to be running and gunning, but because I'd be able to be a good influence around a lot of people who clearly need a good influence, which was correct. It just, it didn't end up being something that I actually followed, followed through with when I joined. Um, what happened along the way was that I realized that the scope that the Marine Corps has in mind will always, or the scope of the organization, the armed forces, it's always going to snag you in its current and pull you away from anything that you thought you were joining it for. Cause at the end of the day, you're going to join for its purposes and its purposes only. And it's going to uh, be up to you to decide whether or not you're going to have a takeaway from it. Personally, I'm still trying to figure out what the takeaway was. Um, obviously, you know, God works all things to the good of those who love him. So things worked out. Okay. Afterwards, I'm doing fine. You know, me and my wife are all right out here. 
and you know god's used all those experiences in some way but at the end of the day if you're thinking of joining the armed forces and you think you're doing it for yourself you just need to know that you're not actually going to be doing it for yourself in the long run you're going to be doing it for service um that is so far beyond the scope of that one person can understand that um you're going to feel silly afterwards thinking that you were going to do this for your own reasons you will have to figure out a way to use it for your own purposes afterwards um you'll have to figure out how to cope with it you know you're going to have that trauma of the real moment that um one of the philosophers talked about where you're going to have to actually like get back involved in your life after those events and figure out how you can make it so that's part of your story and not just part of something where you made a mistake but um at the end of the day it did make me a stronger person you know I, i'll i'll allow for all the cliches make me a stronger person team effort made me a great hard worker i think i already was a hard worker honestly before that i was always somebody who chipped in more than my fair share when it came to the labor experience i still am that person i don't think that the marine corps changed me or made me better because of that i think it just showed me who i really was underneath all that and um at the end of the day uh it was just one of those things where you really, I, it was particularly challenging to me and the people that I left the Marine Corps with because we actually got kicked out for um, hazing <laughs> oh. allegations. Oh, wow. Oh, not allegations, because it actually happened. We were convicted and tried, and we went to military jail. Damn, what the and fuck so is that, that like? Was What's military jail did. like? It's like an open bay thing. It's kind of like, almost like boot camp, except there was like nine of us and like four other prisoners. Not prisoners other people who were in the little jail that we were at. So nobody was going to mess with us because we were all there together for the same charges. It was another military experience, just kind of like any sort of training school where you have to learn your lesson and go back. And then after that, we were over, it was a few more months of paperwork trails and we got kicked out, you know, and I don't say this to be bitter about it. I just say this to help you realize like, that's the kind of thing that can happen to you that you never because we know how this story began. I've already talked about how this story began with the good intentions slash I just don't feel like going back to school. And that's how that ch chapter ended. So you will never get out of the military or any other large organization what you wanted to get out of it. They will Absolutely. get what they want out of you. And if they don't get what they want out of you, they're going to figure out a way to prove It's not point. really a... Not persecute. I wasn't it's not, persecuted. Yeah. It's not really a super democratic organization, I take it. <laughs> it's not really, mm -hmm. uh, you know. <laughs> no. It's tyranny. It's the invisible tyranny of the organization. It's the invisible hand, um, which I think, in pro I think the Protestantism, car pro Protestantism carries over into the military and that this, the hand of God is so invisible that we're not allowed to make pictures of it. There is no picture. There's a couple words. There's analogies. One of them was the green weenie. Talk about something bad would happen. Yeah, something bad would happen as in like somebody gets sent to Hawaii. So somebody gets sent to Hawaii or somebody gets sent to like some crap hole in the, the desert to be stationed there, right? And like somebody- What's will, wrong with Hawaii? Was Hawaii like the, was Ho, is Hawaii, no, why not? You don't want to be in Hawaii. Um, well, I think you want to be there at first for the first few months and then you get island fever, people call it, and they say it sucks. I was never stationed to Hawaii, so I can't speak on that experience, but most people who get sent to Hawaii in the Marines regret it. Most people get sent anywhere and the Marines really regrets it. But it's like some bad things will happen because it needs to happen for the sake of, um, you know, I think in the Army they call it Big Army, but in the, the Marines, you know, it's just because like the Marines needs it happen. And so the phrase goes, 
you know, oh, that's the green weenie or something like that. Like, but the green weenies involved, that's like an analogy for God pretty much in the Marine Corps, right? You know, there's this invisible hand. So there's your theological analysis for the, <laughs> there's your political theological analysis of the Marine the Argonauts Corps were your like podcast. a specialized warrior in the olden Mesopotamian or Mediterranean, whatever there was. But the Marines always have that Close. culture of being the best of the best, like first in, last out. They do. And so, because it's like the 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 army is different than the Marines. Like the Marines are the 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 tough one, and this is echoed throughout like like Warhammer or any other like. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they got the space. I want to read Warhammer. Well, Warhammer now. is this fascinating culture of the worst people on the internet, where it's but they have space. Space Marines are like the most powerful um, people. We'll get into the theology of Warhammer, but with the hazing things because that's like fitting in and that's i know that from like universities fraternities get into that and uh canada we had a paratrooper corps called the princess patricia's um that wasn't hazing that was what you would call very like bad behavior in a un nato mission uh which they had to get disbanded in in this situation that you were involved in was that do you feel like it was just like camaraderie kind of things because generally that comes out of like it wasn't it wasn't it was there we had uh so they called it rollings so there was the introductory rolling that you get when you were one of the guys finally and rolling was just like we'll take you into a dark closet and beat you in places where you won't get bruised too badly so you can't prove anything um, and then there was what was called hate rollings, which is what we were involved in more or less, um, more or less what brought it all down. So I would say it was deserved. I don't think that I was persecuted, but at the same time, it was one of those things where like, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, if we were at war, there just wouldn't be time to deal with it. And they'd say, I'm sorry, that sucks. That happened to you, but you can't be telling on your guys like this. We're just gonna have to send you to another year yeah. like, to the person who I figured was that's just, telling on it or whatever. They'd just be like, I figured that's just, just something you'd unit. expect in an environment like that. You know what I mean? It is. But at the same time, like it's one of those things where the military was downsizing at the time and they were looking for excuses to get rid of branches. I mean, they're always looking for an excuse. Somebody in Congress is always looking for an excuse to get rid of the Marine Corps because we're a waste of money. That's just being honest. Um, the Marine Corps takes more money than it. Biologic, yeah, you could say a lot of things are a waste, right? But the Marines could absolutely be replaced by taking a couple of units or reserve units of the Army and just throwing them onto carriers once every six months. And you could logistically get rid of the Marine Corps easily, but the American people like having the Marine Corps because they're just this emblem. And they are different, right? They are, it would be very different warfare with Marines versus um Versus the army. I hesitate to say this, but I will, I will kind of say it's almost like, you know, when you read World War II, um, when you read the historical literature, the difference between is they had like separate, it was like, you know, they had the army and then they had the not army that wasn't armed. Yes. The ideal so you would say that the Marines are perhaps the American yes. SS. <laughs> In a, they can't be really because there's no person to look up to like that, right? You know, there's no oath we're going to swear to the president that's going to be different from the other branches. 
But at the same time, there's a gung-ho-ness about it itself that like if you took the SS and you got rid of their ideal ideals and you just said like it's the SS for the sake of the SS, that would be the same kind of thing because just anecdotally from reading a lot, because I've been doing a lot of research for my third novel that's going to be coming out hopefully by the end of the year. I've had to do a lot of anecdotal research and like anecdotally, there's a high amount of similarity between the way people talk about the difference between the regular army and those guys in that war and the difference between Marine Corps and army. Like people, historians debate how different the war would have been if Marines got sent to so, Europe, right? So as, a, been very as a foreigner, as a as a Northman Canadian who doesn't really, how do you get into the Marines? Yeah. Is it the same sort of you walk into a recruitment office and some guy and, you know, that's your first place you go? Or is it a sort of special once you're in, you go there sort of branch? Or how does that work? So it's just, it's more complicated to get into, not because there's different processes. I mean, the, the armed forces has a very regulated way of like how you're allowed to get in, but the standards are a little bit higher of how you can get in physically, which is not that high because American youth right now are struggling to get up, you know, and do 50 crunches. So it's not high. Yeah. Well, the Marine Corps, they tried it with the phrases that's different from the other branches. I think that you could pinpoint it's every Marine, a rifleman or every Marine is a rifleman. And so the, the point of that saying that every Marine should be theoretically trained to such a degree, just from the basics, right through boot camp in the school. After that, there's like a second school you have to go to, even if you're not infantry, that's an infantry school. You should from that be able to be led into combat. And that's not something that the, even the army doesn't do that. Realistically, you could take somebody out of boot camp and throw them into combat situation and they would be months and months of training behind what they would need to do. Theoretically, that's the case. Not physically, not like, you know, everybody in the army is a fatty, you know, obviously. Not. And some of those fatties can have some a lot of hunger. But in also, I feel like people are more, you know, bigger now than they've ever been to some degree. Taller. For sure, and fatter, How, for sure. can you do steroids cases, in the army? Absolutely. I mean, no, you're not supposed to. Absolutely, yeah. it happens all the time. Um, <laughs> sorry what was the phrase again that you described and there's the two versions oh so it's just like rolling hate and rolling then, uh, which yeah. could be just like you know and then the hate rolling was the difference and that was like somebody's been extremely disrespectful to the corporals and the you know the non-commissioned officers lately and we're going to put a stop to that because, you know, God forbid that one of our own fellow Lance corporals disrespects a corporal that's on us to make sure he is in his place. So it was an extreme respect thing. And I think from that side, 
if I was looking at it from the outside looking in, I'd be like, well, there's two sides to this. Obviously, it was a respect thing. At the same time, it is way overboard, and there's no need for that. What is a corporal um, to a lance corporal? A world of difference in the Marine Corps in that specific unit. So the unit that I was in, the difference between a corporal and a lance corporal is if you were a corporal, you could pretty much make a lance corporal do a lot of things they didn't want to do. Um, just within reason, like, you know, assign them to spend hours in a hot garage recounting everything. All of the lance corporal privates lower would have to do okay. that. Lance corporal's lower than corporal, by the way, for the folks at home. Sorry. So a corporal would be the full bird kind of like you're actually an NCO. And actually, there is a tradition, which I don't know if they did it there because I was never an NCO. But when you get to corporal, you're supposed to get what's called blood stripes, which is you earn these two red stripes on your pants. And there's a history of that. But basically what it gets down to in the real world was it's from the battle in Mexico, whatever it was. It's a, there's a historic thing. But the main thing is you get your legs beaten to shit by your I shouldn't say that bad. No, I try not to say bad words anymore. Anyways, you get <laughs> you get like beaten by everybody else who's an NCO already to earn your blood stripes. So that already is like a whole echelon above the E1 through E3, which can. It, it's happened, I'm sure. You looked it up. You did a Google search. Um, but there's a world of difference for us. But what it was was thing, things that were done to you when you joined... And then you continued the tradition of doing it. But it was like, this was something that it could have been your, it, like when it happened to you, if someone had done what this person did, it would have come out then, basically. Like it was a matter of time, almost. And that happened in uh, fraternities as well like most fraternities are now disbanded because they do like really weird my high school things. had this sort of thing one like there's that movie uh what's that movie the Matthew McConaughey's in it uh where they hit the kids with a paddle like the yeah yeah is it that kind of thing That sounds like a crazy environment. It was not that crazy. There was a bunch of kids in trench coats playing magic cards <laughs> and shit. But I, I had a yeah. good time. Skateboarders. It would have been a bully's field yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. I think I was. I think yeah. I was kind of similar. I was like, I was. Yeah, I, I, I was. I was a bully to like the people around me, sort of, but not in like a. I was just a dick, mostly. <laughs> just don't want to, because people have the craziest imaginations. Do you mind, like, saying what it was, like, the stuff that you did? Yeah, we'd, we'd take them into, yeah, we'd take them into a place where there was no lights or whatever, and then we'd start beating them 
in specifically places where we knew they wouldn't bruise easily. So like the thighs, the back of the thighs, back of the arms. And so we could do it. To, we would do it to people while they were um, on post, which for the folks at home just means like you're on duty, protecting, guarding something with live ammunition. We'd roll up on you and we'd, because I think that might have been where it came from rolling because you got you roll up in it yeah you'd roll up in like the bearcat it was the vehicle that we would have of choice and you'd we'd all file out and you know get them pinned down and then you take turns and sometimes it was just like you know it sucks but you got to do it because now you're going to be one of our one of our guys and then sometimes it was like we just freaking hate you because you did this x y or z yeah or you're just you've been a misfit since you got here and we just want to like you want you to know that you will never be one of us so it was one of those weird things where it could mean you're one of the guys or it could mean like you are, it's a scary thing because of that. Right. You know, when that is like, um, and the military is like any, any military movie you watch, I feel like they showcase this in one yeah. way or another, like Stanley Kubrick or platoon, um, or any of those, mm-hmm. um, where, and it's incorrect. Like the drill sergeant, it's the same way. Like when someone does something wrong, he makes everybody in the platoon do, a punishment and that's everyone except the guy who did something wrong and that's to foster that mm-hmm. and like my dad yes. uh yeah that happens <laughs> uh. I think I know I couldn't, A, because I've always been, like, a fat guy. Like, I would be, and yeah, I'd probably just get the shit beaten out of me and be like, I wouldn't Yeah, know. they wouldn't, like, they I wouldn't let me that. in the damn army. Yeah, yeah. That's a system where you can't be like, this is wrong, <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I mean, think like, once you're in there, you kind of have to expect, like, you okay, think, you know, right? these guys are beating yeah. the shit out of me. That's, that's yeah. what happens. And I, yeah. Is that one of those things that like that happens to you like, yeah. you know, once or like a few times during career milestones and then you're kind of safe from it? Honestly, there's only a couple times it could Well, like that's the thing is like you have different sets of friends. So my friend group enjoyed rolling each other <laughs> all the time, so you would just be their random target sometimes. <laughs> so you just had to learn to enjoy it or like you roll with it. And then you have groups that like are really you have people who are just really chill. Nobody bothers them because they're kind of on their own. Um, That should have been me, but I was close to the wrong people, which I'd say that. But that's not true. I love the people that I was close with, actually. Like, shout out to Franco. He was amazing. I love that guy wherever he's at right now. Like, I hope you were doing good, buddy. I know he does. I think he's still doing HVAC. I could talk to him like right now if I wanted to. He does HVAC in Illinois, I want to say, Um, you know, and he love to beat the shit out of me with his friends and you know vice versa it would happen sometimes you know where somebody else would be the target but you know it's just it's it, it really is just the i mean it really it's it's just one of those things where like the military is so big it really Things like that. The only reason we did that was because of that specific unit did that. And your specific guys who are in your unit are going to be different about it than other people. People don't realize how little 
um how little um what's the word you know how ununiform a lot of things are in the military as far as like what do we do specifically to this guy for this offense it really depends on the tradition in your unit the guys who are there how much is reinforced whether people like you or not if you're an unlikable guy it's gonna happen to you that's all i was gonna say really Bullying doesn't really exist, or bullying strictly psychological now, which is probably like the most um, hurtful kind of bullying, where it's just like there's the in crowd and like the stereotypical bully, like the big lunkhead, the guy who looked 35 when he was like in high school and could like beat up anybody. That guy generally wasn't a powerful person. He was, it was like, oh, let's tease the girl. It's all girl bullying now. Like, <laughs> well yeah. yeah yeah girl well girls are mean to each other remember the famous line from seinfeld talking about like do do girls do they're asking elaine like do girls do that talking about wedgies and she's like no we just bully each other until we get uh eating disorders <laughs> that's like one of the best lines in american literature by the way yeah yeah no but, yeah. Larry, larry david's a very important uh yeah literary figure uh in yes, that sense absolutely but that is like, yeah, yeah, um, that it's it's crazy. And to to sort of dwell on it, it's just very because I had no idea. But that's very like fascinating mm-hmm. curve. And also that clearly it, you don't project that it like gets you down kind of thing. You're like, well, that's a thing. It happened. And like and like it was yeah. uh, it was a lesson unto itself kind of thing. We've. Mm-hmm. I can't really think of an alternate situation from what happened, you know. I I feel like, you know, what Kurt Vonnegut says in that book, again, like, you know, that's, that's how the moment's structured. That's the only way I can think about it at this point in my life. And um, I thank God that it was structured that way, that, you know, I got out of the situation and that since then I'm in a much better spot. Trying to cut a fur mat off a very uncooperative cat right now. But, yeah, and then so Vonnegut... For the kids at home who don't know, Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five is, like, talking about this American thing that was very... And that is, like, as you say, he's an atheist, but what happens to him in that book, like, he he survived by this very strange coincidence, and he's like, so I have to talk about it. Do you feel, like, a kinship in that sense, and that those kind of things happen in the military, or you're just like, ah, eh, that's kind of crazy, it reminds me of it. Certainly not to the level that he should have felt it, I think, with what he witnessed. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, city, and again, yeah. just to, I really hope people read this, you know, because it was one of those things to me that I thought it was one of those school books that if it didn't get assigned to you, you were lucky, you know, mm-hmm. but gosh, I mean, if just, if you can get to the part about the, the mute barbershop quartet, if you've read that book, you know what I'm talking about. It's haunting, but I couldn't compare myself to him for sure. But I think there is a similarity, I think, with anybody who goes through it situation and can reflect on it with a sense of like you know that was just what had to happen and i'm thankful that it's done now Mm -hmm. i think that's one of those i I do feel a little bit of um kinship in perspective certainly not an experience because that is miles apart i think what what he was destined to witness for sure but yeah whatever happens will probably mirror kurt vonnegut's experience to like a much more neutral nuclear thermal level 
Yes. How about uh, what 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 about the conflict in Spain? Does Spain have any uh, particular significance, or is that a? The only reason I chose it is because it shared. There's there's a language that's shared with the uh, protagonist and his companion and Spain because he, he's slightly Hispanic, so he does okay. speak a little bit of Spanish, only a little bit in the first parts of the book, and then it comes, of course, into it. It's like. It gets used actually whenever you get to that part. So there's some parts in Spanish which I think should be easy to translate from the context, or I try to leave context clues so it's not completely McCart. Oh, we call it Cormac McCarthy on you, where you have to just start googling <laughs> translate. Um, but there are parts that are in Spanish in order to provide that you know real. I think the depth and the realism, and to show that there's multiple levels to this because of course the character is going through a. Um, well, the background crisis is that he doesn't know his dad, and his dad is obviously the one who is Hispanic, and so there's a part of him that's missing there. And so there's an irony in the story where he goes to Spain to fight a war against the people who are ethnically related to him that he knows nothing about and is not uh, familiar with the part of his family that is that anymore. So there's the sense of the sense of going home, the sense of the journey that gets redirected to somewhere you never thought you were going to go. That all goes into play with Spain. That's why I specifically chose that. It wasn't a fantastic political intrigue there it's more of a happenstance which uh creates better story that's i I always want to try to make story decisions that add to story i tried to give the reader as much context as the protagonist because the protagonist is the kind of person to not do research i'm not gonna throw information at people so it's kind of up to interpretation there is some sense that it must be regional in some way obviously because there's a point where they go where they go AWOL, where it's like, okay, obviously there's no more fighting here, so something's regional about it. But the major context, I mean, the major reason was so that there could be that language attachment and there could be a little bit of that usefulness where, like, that becomes a part of the internal conflict, you know, that becomes I appreciate external, that, though. The internal conflict of who am I and where am I Spain is the from. sort of, like, old world connection, just as sort of Jerusalem is the old world connection to faith and whatnot. Anything that you could read into a book that makes sense with your own reading of it is a good way to look at it. I don't think that I noticed that as much until it was over. And I think that I'm glad it became that. But I think that just happens when you're writing something is that if you're doing it, putting everything into it that you have, you're going to create something that when I look back, I see, oh, my gosh, like there are more connections there than I thought there were. And I'm glad for that. But um, I think because I had a specific theme in mind, especially when I came up with the title, the title almost always helps me to focus and hone when I go back and edit because for me my writing only gets only becomes worth reading once I go back and edit 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 I think as I go back and have that title in mind and the theme in mind yeah so is uh Narganot Goes to Jerusalem is that your first book or the second second the first one was called Dogs in the Weeds it received very little acclaim and little readership and deserved it because I was just it was very rough Paul it was very roughly done and it was one of those things where I just needed to do it to get it out of my system that I'd finally written a book. And then the second one, it was more like, okay, I'm going to do this the right way and I'm going to really create a good plot that focuses on one thing at a time and gets the reader actually turning the page. So the first one I just don't talk about a lot because it was very rough. I don't think it was horrible because it had its value to it. It was a lot more, um, it was a lot more introspective and, but it was also a lot more sparsed out to that. It was hard to really catch it was hard to really keep up with like the 
plot because the plot itself kind of stayed in the background too much. Um, but the third one is what I'm coming up with. If you wanted to talk about that one, I'm open to talk about that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but that makes sense too. Cause I said, um, and it just jumped out at me. I was like, this from, reminds me of Haruki Murakami and I really like Haruki Murakami and there may be easier, you know, comparisons to bring up or whatnot. Like I could also bring up Ernst Younger. Um, but then we haven't, I don't know if you were in war or not, but he wrote as a soldier. Um, and, but mm -hmm. Murakami says like he only allows his second book to be published even though his first book is like what made him a writer and most people mm -hmm. I was just talking about this today with a friend is that a lot of people don't they want to be a novelist but they they're too afraid to even do the first one and put it out and have it be mm -hmm. like less than perfect so it's like once you get that out of there and that may well be in most cases, like the one that's soaked with someone's own experience. And then it's like, Oh, I can be a not, I can create worlds that aren't me and whether or not my readers assume it's me, it's their problem. But then it's like, Oh, now I can just be a storyteller and like generate stories. But yes. let's, let's do get into the third one and add some intrigue, but everyone should read Nargonaut sales to Jerusalem. Uh, and I, mm -hmm. I stake my reputation on it. That's a good book. So go read it if you, you believe you. in anything I say. But who are your, and not that it's like who it reminds me of or whatever, but who are your favorite authors? Who do you like a lot? Brett Easton Ellis is, has to come to mind. Oh, yeah. Brett Easton Ellis, um, who is most famous for American Psycho, but his best work, don't read American Psycho, read Less Than Zero. That's his most important work. I think it is a shorter read. It is very grotesque in some spots. It's suggestively grotesque. So be careful. Don't read it if you're a very sensitive reader. But Less Than Zero is his best writing. And he is one of the definitive authors of the 80s, um, which is what made him worth, what made his writing in American Psycho worth being turned into the major motion picture. And so Bryson Ellis is definitely right off the top. Cormac McCarthy, Ernest Hemingway, um, the bits of Melville that I have read. Um, those are all uh, Melville is so he's still underrated after all these years. Like as much hype as he gets, he is underrated. I thought like, oh, this guy will be boring. But then you read about him talking about like being a fucking whaler hobo. Like, it's very interesting. It's very radical. It mm -hmm. seems so boring because PBS, PBS is always like, oh, the great American <laughs> author. But it's really, it's very strange yeah. and it's very cool. Like, James Joyce, mm -hmm. yeah, I get it. Everyone likes James Joyce. But, like, Melville, Melville is cool. I tried to read Finnegan's Wake and I was like, ah, I don't. Uh, Me and my mathematician friend went, I don't have time for this bullshit. Like, a lot of people love <laughs> No, I won't hate. James Joyce, I love the one book that he's got. I've got it up for here. He's got one book that's really worth reading. It's the Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Um, but anybody who likes his other writing, I feel like the only people I know who enjoy his other writing are people who don't read any other books in novels. Like they're people who read like philosophy and stuff or theory of language. And I get that that's cool that that's for them. But like I know I would never personally recommend somebody to read anything besides Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. And if you start that in the first two, three pages, you're like, screw this. Absolutely. Screw that. Don't read it. You know, because 
reading is about enjoying it. I don't believe in literature for the sake of literature at all. Which is why I enjoy Melville. You know, just surprisingly. Yeah. Melville na- nailed down like, yeah, like ambient, ambient writing in a way that's very important, I think. Mm. Yes. Montreal, yeah, Montreal is full of a very kind of boring outlet writer that they just put a bunch of Wikipedia facts in their books and it's terrible. And it's like, don't, don't explain things. And I like that everything you lead into is like, no, I just said that because it's cool and whatever. And that's like, mm-hmm. that's what it should always be. Yeah. Well, I'm, I guess I'm setting Absolutely. rules now. <laughs> well, the first, that's the problem with my first book, though. So many details and so the prose was too thick too many adverbs if there's adverbs if there's more than one adverb on a page that's a bad writer i've probably done that so i'm gonna fall under that category but you just if you can drop if we can get rid of adverbs for the vast majority of all writing i think that we would streamline most books and make them a lot more readable um, that's what i found from my own writing is that i put myself to sleep if i describe an if i have to describe a verb then I, I've done something really bad in the way I've set this up. And it's going to be hard for me to, if it's hard for me to read it, it's going to be really hard for anybody else to care about it. So, uh, but you were going to say about the third one. Oh yeah. Well, I, I wanted you to go on that, but then just to get back to yeah. uh, praising you, cause you're on the little show um, reading you. I like it that it's very much, it's a fresh voice in that it reminds me of uh it reminds me of older stuff, but it's also, it's someone, it, it reads as confident in yourself. And it's like, thing. it's it's a style that I'm like, there's, I don't see enough of this. When I pick up new books, I see the same thing over and over again. It's like, the sun was a glowing autumn and my grandmother's skin smelled like cinnamon. And it's like, oh, amazing. Like, you're just like glorifying this thing. You're not telling stories anymore. And there is like, that's why I like, yeah, and like Murakami, I continue to think is important. Stephen King, I think is important. But Murakami really, really uh, was a guy who loved like traditional American authors in a way that America never could, that like ran away mm-hmm. from it. Uh, and that's just my spicy talk there. But like yeah. your stuff reminds me of like, yeah, the like kind of American tradition and that, that classic like Hemingway, but with a fresh fresh face and it's just fun to stumble upon that like i'm uh thank you we have a habit of having people before they go and do cooler shit and i think we stumbled upon you at a right point and it's also cool that you've like channeled memes into doing it because when you say you wrote books and you're like i gotta make some memes to like promote this book because that's very astute like you do need a social media presence and this environment specifically is definitely uh a hotbed i think yeah it's not the hugest numbers but people are generally like thinking yeah. about things and uh caring but when you brought up and so yeah i'm i'm segueing away from the third book but we'll get back to that no, that's fine because no, no, no. it's important because were you had already had you finished a book and then you found theorygram on instagram like you were used to seeing people's brunches and then you're like oh what are these weirdos doing or what's that how's that playing so I guess I got into Theorygram because I would become interested in philosophy through YouTube and you know how the internet's all connected. I'm pretty sure that's how it stumbled across my algorithm, I'm sure. So I ended up following a lot of pages that would talk about philosophy because I was like, oh, there's something I'm interested in and they're making it funny and like, you know, 
know teasing it or whatever and it feels like i'm in on a, i'm on an inside joke because i know these writers too so that got me into yeah. it and i think that to be completely honest though to be for real what actually made me realize oh i can easily write a book was stumbling across this guy mike maw do you know who that is <laughs> yes yeah yeah harassment architect so mike ma yes harassment architect i haven't read what's your opinion on it i've read bronze age Burger. not worth the read yeah great cover looks good visually great cover the artist who does the cover i know his instagram handle i can't remember off the top of my head he's a mm. great artist and i think the marketing was great because it was so vague and it was so like you know read this book and it turned into yeah, a lot of anachronistic clown. stuff about scary clown racist you know not cool mm-hmm. not my thing people. so is mike ma chinese i, I like, assumed he was he's a white blonde guy who wrote for breitbart for a couple of years like i continue to say i'm fascinated by steve bannon i don't condone steve bannon but as like a fat loud slob who was in the navy and he's a total grifter charlatan but he's fascinating he's an adderall addict for sure but that was all yeah. like it was this mm-hmm. point where I was like, oh, only the right are doing any, like, self-published literature shit. And then, like, Breitbart was pushing it. And you get all these lazy morons that just, like, quote Avola and uh, Nietzsche, and it's very empty. But I took it as a card-carrying leftist pinko. It's just, like, everyone should be doing this, regardless of politics. And so... And like my favorites, like Lindy Man has an awful book that I'm trying to get, but it costs a hundred dollars because it's it was so embarrassing. He deleted it because everyone was making fun of him. But I was like, these people get people to read their books in a way that Verso doesn't. Like Verso, I respect Verso. I like some Verso books, but no one's reading Zero books. No one's reading Verso books. They're reading Mike Ma. They're reading. BAP, they're reading all this shit, even if it's because they're in their masters of sociology and they're like, I'm going to infiltrate. Like, do something. Don't like, hey, I'm going to go tell you how bad these people are. It's like, why do you give them, if they're so bad, like, leave them alone or whatever. People underestimate how powerful being annoying (laughs) is. You know what I mean? Everyone talks about the The annoying people. Yeah, Yeah, I think I found my, yeah, I finally found my niche for being annoying and it was those Sigma memes. Because I started making the same kind of memes. Yeah, I started making the same. That's no, the, your um, the ones with the whisper font. Those are the <laughs> ones that are. are that's my, my feed is exclusively that now. I love it gets whisper. Likes, I guess. So it reads like a Twitter feed, but it's not, you know, and it's all like dorky phrases. But the way that I infiltrated that whole thing, infiltrated, the way that I kind of took advantage of that and became annoying on the internet to get attention was I took the same kind of formula where you say something stupid and like, Something that reads basically is like, I wish women would talk to me. Also, I hate them. And I flipped it around from the perspective of like, so I think one of the, the best examples I could think of is the one it's got like a picture of Brad Pitt from Fight Club. And it's got the, in the big annoying whisper text. It says something about like, and it's literally, I just quoted like a tweet. Yeah, there it is. There I am. And it's like, literally, I think I just like quoted word for word a tweet about like, um, for the kids at home, follow H Hank rules. I was always hoping people would read it as Hankules. Oh, it's Hankules. That's what I always hope people would say. <laughs> Don't think, count but... on me, though. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't count on me because I always do this. Like my friends have clever names that I misread it wrong, and then I remember that as their name the entire time. But <laughs> I was like, oh, Hank rules this new one. But it's Hankules, and that is uh... yeah. <laughs> But I, well, I have a question on your feet because I love, and I don't find your feet annoying because, like, I'm, I'm annoying. I post twenty times a day, um, and that's annoying. And sometimes I'm like, are people mad at me? And they're just like, no, you're just like insufferable. Like, I don't want to see you twenty times a day. But you're like, you post when you have a really good dinger, um, which explains like your success, and I respect it. And I also see it as like. Uh, no hate, but I prefer you to him. Are you familiar with Tom Tuna? No. Have you ever heard of Let that guy? Let me look him up real quick. Okay, see. I'm about to look up. Yeah, this is the collective unconscious. Because he posts more like, quote unquote, dime square people, but it's the same concept, like text. But it'll always be way more niche in a way that anybody who gets his, they're like, uh, I care about things that aren't important. Tom Tuna, come on the Tom pod. Tom Tuna, Tom Salad? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And it's always... People have told me, like, you should talk to this guy. And I'm like, eh, yeah, yeah. He can... I'll make him mad first. Then I'll talk to him. Don't trust him. But, he does the and others feature. He does... He does what, it so oh, that he hides that? his likes. So he oh. hides his likes. Don't trust him. So, like, if you go on there, if you look at his thing, it's such and such liked it and others. So it's like, does he have fake? Does he have, yeah. does he have a bunch of bots following him? The buckle fat jokes. I'm just playing, yeah. though. That's, uh, I learned what that, that's when they suck all the fat out of your cheeks and make you look Dutch, basically. We're all Frankenstein. Yeah, so. Dutch. <laughs> have you been, uh, have you always fought? Because I remember getting obsessed with, like, Instagram memers a long time ago. And like no followers for a long ass time, but I was always just like paying attention to like Jin Kazama and Scariest Bug and all yeah. these annoying Atlanta people who had a show and then they all like had criminal charges against each other. And few... anyway, I so I watched like, like we can all agree Instagram's in the downturn, it's like, <laughs> like everyone's on TikTok, but the people that are left are like interesting and it'll be. Yeah. Well, if this pod has anything to do with it, it'll remain like an important artistic time. Was it something you showed up and you're like, I'll learn the rules, or you had always watched and were like, I could do this? I kind of was a little bit like that. And I think that I learned the rules over time. And I think a lot of it was like, I'd get interested and I'd post a lot and then I would stop. And then what happened was I realized how easy it was to make memes with the whisper thing. Cause I was like, I don't have to find like an interesting way to create a meme. It's like, all right, it's always there, it's ready made. You just type in the text and it's there. So I started doing that. And at first it would have to do more with like the niche audience that I had or it would have to do with writing because I was trying to advertise that I was a writer at that point. And it became more like I realized like, oh, if I just post one that's really funny, like literally my biggest, the biggest one, the most likes I've gotten was on one that I just copied and pasted a tweet that I thought was funny over a, an image of Patrick, not Patrick Bateman, uh, Christian Bale that made sense to it. Cause it was like him with a dog and a cat watching, clearly watching TV or something. And like, it was something about like how, sorry, babe, like I can't make it tonight. I have to watch a YouTube video. That's four hours long about something I don't care about. Right. And it about got something got I've like, never heard of. Yeah. Yeah. It's got like 600,000 likes right now. And so like, Ooh, yeah, I know I like, stuff, like you post something like that. Uh, you just never know what the algorithm yeah. is going to pick up and what people will like. 
And so stuff like that will stick out. And then like some of the ones I think are more funnier that I thought about more. Like I was annoyed because I posted one with Dean yeah, Norris, man. you know, the guy from Breaking Bad, you know, the scene where he's on the toilet and he finds mm-hmm. something out. It's like, yeah, the bald guy. And I was yeah. like, yeah, the caption was like, oh, I'm just like him for real because I also have deep realizations while I'm on the toilet and reading. So I thought that one was funny. It only got like <laughs> about a thousand yeah. likes. So I was like, yeah, whatever. But whatever I do, it's kind of with the intention of like, yeah. My, my favorite posts get like 12 likes, but then it's like, it's never, it's the, the people want what they want, or it goes through the algorithm, I don't know. But there's no shame in uh, yep. tweet people recycling. I'm looking at that, uh, the YouTuber posted a four-hour video essay, so many people I know in real life like that, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. No, Hank's no joke. He's out here. Hank rules. Hank rules. <laughs> Hank rules. <laughs> that can that can be your yeah, backup. Hank, like Hank rules. And uh, maybe if it's not taken, it took me years. It took me so long to find that handle because I could didn't want to pay somebody for a handle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, are they selling? You looked into that, like the the market of buying them after. I didn't want to buy one, but I was trying to find something that involved my name that would be easy to remember and didn't have any numbers in it. And it took me forever to finally realize that, like, if you add an E in Hank and then you put Yulee's at the end, it's not taken. So I was like, screw it. Maybe hopefully people will recognize that because that's what gets people to follow. I feel like it's always about the aesthetic. It's about like having like a professional looking account that looks like it deserves the followers it gets. And having a consistent feed you post every day, even if it's not that great, people will just, just follow. I searched Hank Rules, and it's run by a guy named Mike. It's fucked up. Mike is, it's reversed, Ew. but that's Stolen Valor. Fuck you, Mike. Stolen Valor. Followers. Uh, My brother's maybe... name is Mike. That's funny. Maybe it's him. <laughs> yeah. Well, fuck. No, this guy's Mike Powell or something. What about Hank? Under- I like the underscore. It always, like, frees it up. But that's a decision. So what is Hank? No, they have Hank rules on. Yeah, who's this asshole? Thirty-two followers. Also, it just says the life of Hank. He's living a good life though. He like lifts weights. He's shirtless a lot. He has some trophies. Good for him. But yeah, Hank Elias is right. Decision. I love my health. My fellow Hanks are always doing good. Yeah, I was gonna say Matt. Matt had a name I really really like. I mean, the Bayverse pod is good too. You used to be various human various human shaped very beings. iconic too. Right, that was yeah. it. I feel like I browsed that account at least once. Possibly, possibly. It's deleted now because I I don't even know what the fuck I posted that broke the rules so bad that they deleted me, but Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. I was going to ask this, do you get flagged? Do you get reported ever? Have you ever had the uh once in a blue moon? Was there was down? one time I got flagged before I There was one time I got flagged repeatedly cuz I kept trying to make a Taylor Swift meme, but it was the day that her album came out. So nobody oh, liked it. Oh, and she gets like, special reporting protection. it. I tried to post it like three times. Well, it's because I'm sure I put hashtag in it. I always use hashtags back then. And so I still do kind of. But um, I used the hashtag Taylor Swift. And so people who are following, who liked her, obviously like reported the <laughs> shit out of that because it was sort of inappropriate. So <laughs> I deserved that. That was wrong of me. I'm sorry, Taylor Swift. Yeah. You didn't deserve Whatever Kanye did to you that one time at the award ceremony, you didn't deserve that, you know. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, like the, I've gotten flagged before, but usually it's like I can get it untaken down because it'll be something about like, oh, you made fun of French people. It's like, I'm sorry, like Instagram's not going to defend the French people. So I'll get it taken back up. Or there was one time I posted a nun, a nun holding a weapon. 
And so they tried Inciting to slightly say it was against the guidelines. <laughs> I asked them to review it. Mm. Yeah, something like that. Because it said something like, uh, I got my shooter, like I have shooters in these streets or something like that. So, but like they, they let it go back up, I guess, because it was so innocuous. I generally am like, because all my shit just sounds like someone who had a very bad concussion is trying to like explain themselves to the world. <laughs> so I, I don't usually get in trouble. So I'm always surprised when I do. But I, I did one that I said, I found it very funny to say that the band Death Grips is one guy who is like the lead singer, which I just, and then, but I typed it into AI. I'm like, Death Grips doing something. And they make it look like the guy, like the lead singer. So I'm not the only one who thinks this way. Robots think this way too. But I said, if I were Death Grips, I would uh, do a show and fire bottle rockets at all those kids who came to see me. <laughs> and it got flagged as uh, inciting violence. Uh, so I challenged it and I won and they put it back. So I always challenge it, kids at home. But I, I think uh, it, I, I oh, got yeah, flagged for like supporting hateful organizations because I posted some some picture of like a fucking Pokemon wearing like a Nazi uniform that was clearly drawn <laughs> yeah, by like a fucking two year old and like crayon and shit. Yeah. <laughs> don't uh don't post Nazi uniforms <laughs> or the swastika is But it was clearly yeah. like I don't know. It didn't uh, even yeah. have a swastika on it because whoever drew it was fucking four years old and didn't know how to yeah. draw it was a swastika. All yeah. The lines I, were once I actually once I posted a picture of like the crying laughing emoji with like a gun in its mouth and that yeah, got yeah. flagged for like promoting suicide yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, suicide's very frowned upon but it's also <laughs> the most annoying one is like people will say they'll just comment and say really rude things not that often but then i'll reply in a way that's like well fuck you and then that, that gets reported because yeah. the person who I say it to reports it. And like, if a human reports something, it like goes stronger than like the robots. Then they just take. So it's like Instagram's yeah. a safe place. You can't say this. And then like they just and their comment is like, "Fuck you! I hope you die." And like, how are they like? <laughs> This person shouldn't be able to tell me to kill myself, but then I do, and now I'm the bad guy. Yeah, you but. can also, yeah, just find accounts of people that are like, Waffen SS appreciator or something, you know? <laughs> like, oh, I just love <laughs> history, and they're like, here's the heroic... I'm a history enthusiast. Yeah, yeah, here's the heroic fucking Heinrich oh Himmler, gosh. who's my personal hero. <laughs> But as long as they're not saying anything like, I don't know, any bad words or anything, Instagram's like, that's fine. But I yeah. post one damn picture of a fucking Sonichu. <laughs> yeah, Pikachu in a yeah. SS uniform and yeah. everyone loses their damn minds. Fuck the Waffen SS, by the way. Sorry, Waffen heads out there. But, Sorry. Uh, it was just a Absolutely. bunch of teenagers high on meth. They weren't even very good at being soldiers. Soviet Union did way more badass shit and Stalin had killed all the good generals. So that was just like, that was balling with it's no... pure grit, man. Yeah, yeah. They got it out the mud. Absolutely. They didn't even have guns or shoes. Like, they just figured it out. So. <laughs> no shoes. It was the Wild West, man. <laughs> Running around that. fucking unarmed barefoot. These Nancy boy Germans with all their technology and the Soviets like, nah, we win. <laughs> yeah. But, 
Yeah, fuck the Germans. The Germans never would have won if you yeah. ever look. They were just too high on math. So they many fucking amazing. nerds are always like, wah, wah, wah. actually, if, uh, <laughs> if they, they were so this, close. This... Yeah, like, no, they mm-hmm. fucking weren't, bro. They were so close. I love that one. <laughs> what are they going to do? Just impose <laughs> just fucking four more years. And if America and England uh, joined them, they would have won. But And the rest of the world would have given up and just... <laughs> Been like, ah, yeah, oh, yeah, fuck man. it, we're German now. Everybody else would have just fallen <laughs> for it. But I was gonna, yeah, yeah, because then that you brought in. Are you a Philip K. Dick fan? Where not to, but now it sounds too because like, yes. oh, because he did the like Man in the High Castle is cool. Where he's like, what if he won? And then, yeah, uh, is that? I'm not saying it's like where you got the, but were you thinking of that when you did like the Spain concept? But I mean, a lot of there's like a lot of like fictional things or is spain it's a different no i didn't think of that but Mm -hmm. well it's more like just like maybe something bad happens the next few years because climate crisis is and wars Uh, and stuff you know and just like it could come up it could happen yeah the the idea was that it would happen some way somewhere around like 2025 or something like that you know which by then i'm sure we could come up with a bullshit war to send and southern europe you know that that makes sense as a spot you know if you're gonna have like climate migrants of some sort fleeing the equator Mm -hmm. and whatnot yeah yeah i don't really i wasn't too worried about the details well now japan absolutely yeah that's that's the sort of that's for nerds you know that's that's the sort of nerd shit people i don't know people that complain about like those sorts of things and like people that get too focused in plot instead of getting you know paying attention to the actual story being told oh yeah yeah i feel that yeah i feel that have, what's your reception been though have those communities interacted with you like oh uh, you mean the you ones find, that um who are who are coming to your well like his, history buffs war buffs like your readership are people interacting is it a situation where it's just like the books are selling but you don't really hear from it them? trickles in because i hear that a lot as well or have uh like have you engaged yeah, with literary community, like, is it positive? Is it it's always very positive? No, I have a lot of very positive interaction with it. The stuff that trickles in, it's people who find it worth communicating back to me about the book. And nine times out of ten, excuse me, if you if it's worth a personal interaction, it's because you actually finished the book, and you won't finish the book usually if you didn't enjoy it somewhat. So I have a lot of very good positive feedback. One of the guys who first read it, um, mm-hmm. who I knew through Instagram and all that was super positive he told me that it like hit him at a spot in his life where it really resonated to him and there was another guy um who i want to say used to at some point be a part of that community the whole mike ma thing and i think he's fallen out of it you know praise god uh, for that but he's he reached out to me he said that this is one of the most unique things he's read in the last you know several years and he's surprised it came out recently it's always super positive i love hearing from people who've read if you you've read the books and you're where if you want to like reach out to me and let me know what you think if you have criticism or otherwise feel free to let me know because if you have genuine criticism that tells me so much and like you don't have to cut it let the let the damn people people i don't know people are too busy playing civ to pay attention to the actual words coming out of our mouth where people are yeah, people are too busy playing the damn fort. People are too busy playing dice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the alley. The bones. Yeah. Kids at home, don't play dice games because it's very easy to die. No worries, no worries. I hope it's uh, everything's good. It's not like, uh, are we destroying the household here? Or 
Oh yeah, no. I just wanted to make sure. Oh. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure everything was okay. Explain to her how important I this missed, is I as a uh, <laughs> medium. Like, but no, no. And um, I have to reiterate this because I was very pleasantly surprised. Like we've uh, we've been uh, quote unquote friends on here for a while. But I was like, yeah, the book's cool, amazing, like the cover, everything's very professional. And I was very, I hate that it's taken us doing the pod for me to get around to reading it. But I'm like, holy shit, this is like a really good novel. Like, it's very, very good. And my expectations on self-pubs are low. Not that I don't think, I didn't, like, I expected it would be good. But I was like, I'm like, yeah, this is good. Like, I'm not very worried at all that this won't, like, get steam and so this will be a feather in our cap that we had hank hank ellis on early um and it is like it's it's so well done and uh this is where you belong so i do think god chucked one second chucked you out of the marines yeah when you said one second you gotta oh no matt said one second um but then uh so how about like publishing it like how did you go about self-publishing it and uh formatting and whatnot just through kindle direct publishing wow and you did it all yourself so, you edited yeah it? so the editing yes edited cover was myself um i used some stock photos and i had to like kind of deep not deep fry but i had to really like find ways to edit it into the image that's there um the formatting was really i wish i had done a little bit of a better job i forgot to justify both sides i know you probably noticed the run-ons there which hopefully yeah, it's not, not too noticeable but I did all of that myself using yeah. pages. You're hard. Okay, you're very hard on yours. It's probably and, um, the marine mindset, but like, it's very much more professional than a lot maybe. of uh, stuff I've seen. So yeah, it's very good. I hold it up there. Thank you. Yeah, but I did all that myself, and then the yeah, like um, like we've had a uh, academic fraud on who is someone I very much very respect. They're very talented at all aspects of book craft, mm -hmm. and they're very anonymous. But when you know. When you delve through the cracks, they're justified in like being as good as they are at what they do. So everybody shout out academic fraud. But I'm happy that like all literary people we've had on are very talented. Mm -hmm. And you are, uh, I put you in that same level where it is like there's a lot of charlatans out here. But that's a person who's been exposed to like professional publishing and things like this has seen those worlds. So I don't know how much you want to like, what is your day job? It has to do with roofs. I don't want to get too into all of it because I know it's kind of boring, but I work on roofs. Fuck yeah. About 10. Yeah, I work on roofs. The job itself lasts about, yeah, the job itself lasts about 10 to 12 hours every day. But the actual roof part is usually only about six to 10 of that. Like there's a lot of not downtime, I would say, but you have to get to the job site. You have to get back. Things happen and you have to go go back to the shop and get things and go back and, um, you know, delays happen, stuff like that. So it's not so strenuous that it's like I'm on a factory floor for 12 hours doing the same thing. It's not monotonous like that, but it is very straining. And so it can be kind of hard when you don't get a lot of time with family. But that's what I'm doing on the day job mm -hmm. side. So I make all the money. Um all the money that I make is from that job. I don't make money from the books. I try actually purposefully tried to make them as cheap as possible. I think it's like seven ninety nine mm -hmm. is the newer what the the one you've got should be seven ninety nine. So hopefully I you paid didn't fifteen pay $15 Canadian, for it. but it got um, delivered to my yeah, house. I, 
I wasn't mad at it. Like it's like, oh, okay. And I've gone on this rant before because oh, like okay. a lot of people are uh, anti Amazon publishing, but I've explained again. If you guys check the academic fraud episode, you can hear it. But Amazon uses the self-publishing as a tax evasion, so it makes it very, very cheap. So all artists should make books now because mm-hmm. it's like, it's so cheap. It's insanely cheap to get your ideas out there. Mm-hmm. And that you hold yourself to such a high standard, you're putting out a good thing, which is very good for your reputation. And it's like, in this era, thank you. it's great that you didn't waste any time doing the dance with publishers because I don't think people should. I think everyone should do exactly what you did and get it out there. And um, I will always champion that yeah. because it is very important. And as much as people are like, oh, we're in the worst world right now, creatively, if someone sees themselves as a creator, there is no excuse, any of you little, there's no excuse for you not to do your idea yourself. Uh, the Betaverse is personification of that. Like, mm-hmm. get out there. People are interested. People are dying for shit that doesn't fucking suck. We don't want to hear people's grandmothers smelling like cinnamon. Like, you can be rupee you can be whatever like rupee had that idea and did it go viral post stupid memes all day and then you can share your art and people will care we'll give yeah. a shit um so feel positive about that don't let people bring you down uh and yeah and you have like working class like you see these dumbass articles like there's no artists in the trades anymore it's like yeah they're fucking art it's the best time we've ever had for people to have a day job and make shit and that's respectable it's way more respectable. It'll get out there and it'll mean something <laughs> and people will care. So do it. Do it like mm-hmm. Hank. So You should. No, do it. I'm serious though. Once you do the first one, like it changes the game because then you realize you can do it. Mm-hmm. Please you, yeah, continue you gotta, to chase Sometimes you got to burn one. And like, so maybe the first one's no good and then the next one is. But I'm excited to, I'll check out the first one too, but let's get into the third one. And then I know that uh, we've, we've, thank you for being generous with your time. Absolutely. The third one is about said uh, villains of history that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> oh, those who guys? would have lost in yeah. every conceivable universe. <laughs> okay. Yeah, those guys. So it's about, yeah, it's, I, I tried to make it more interesting than, you know, um, kid goes to war and shoots commies it's actually a little bit more complicated so or i tried to make it a little bit more in-depth than that so it's about a young guy who um, happens to be of that perfect age around early 20s during 1941-ish goes to the first part of the war which we all know really happens in the east comes back home from an injury and um because he's injured in uh in his leg or whatever it is like he's injured so he can't um go back to the front front but his dad who's a pastor convinces him to join the ss because it's a status thing and in his neighborhood there's a well-to-do guy it's in, it takes place in stuttgart which is an area of germany that breeds horses so there's a local rich person who owns a lot of horses who has a particularly stubborn daughter who he wants to get married to somebody and so he sees the main character as an opportunity to have somebody in his daughter's life who is going to go somewhere since he can join the ss have him join the ss so he joins the ss but he doesn't get to do any cool darren do he gets to be a rider of horses because he already does that and so he works as a show horseman like for the those rally things that they did or whatever he's like a show horseman he wears costumes and stuff and so there's a he goes to berlin his young wife comes with him there's a love triangle um he finds out what an awful person he is by supporting what he does. 
Um, but that's kind of the general outlay is it's a love triangle thing that's set up through kind of this, this very conceivable thing of like, you know, he can't do something useful, it will have him do something useless, which still adds to the war effort. And so, of course, that everything internal that goes in about, hmm, is this wrong? Is this right? Is amplified by the fact that he's not really killing anybody, but he still is very involved visually. And so the whole visual involvement, the whole acting thing, a whole motif that right now is still being worked into this plot is Shakespeare and quoting Shakespeare in English saying certain things that come to bear later on. And so hopefully there's a play of irony that can be woven in through that because who's better to choose as an ironic source than Shakespeare. Um, but this whole thing of like that being a common, this thing about acting and what acting has to do with what we do and whether we're really acting when we're acting. And um, if everything is an act, you know, what we do for the party or for homeland and family, if it's all an act, it's always an act, you know, you know, especially when your heart's in a different place than the person that you promised it was to, which is an awful thing, which mm. I would never recommend anybody ever doing is uh, I just personally can't comprehend actually doing that. Um, but that's the kind of thing that it's about. It's about a lot of the exterior versus interior realities and how much those actually interplay and how much they really solidly interact. Um, and the working title right now is um, it comes from a lecture on King Arthur. It's love is love is a desire never to be fulfilled. That's Ooh. the working title. This is a... So that's what you we've got a spicy going on. one now that you're putting it in uh, alternate history with Germany. Mm -hmm. Right. Real well, history. history. Uh, but it is like, um, it's something that a lot of, uh, ja well, there's Philip K. Dick, but then uh, Japanese authors and uh, manga artists, as they're called, have been more open with this probably because they were allies with it and japan like sees things in a bit more of mm -hmm. a autistic analytic way um but what's funny is the what you described it's like buzzwordy and all the internet communities this book called male fantasies which people know because like red scare wear like little white t-shirts with that on it anyone who reads those books they're actually quite boring it's like a delusian analysis of uh German pulp fiction, which was very like pro nationalist, shoot commies. I'm a handsome soldier. Like Ernst Younger did Clash of Steel. So mm -hmm. it's all these other people like kind of ripping him off without that same like detached um, amorality that he has, where it's just very, very pro. Like Starship Troopers is a great example, mm -hmm. which is like a allegory of Nazism. Yeah. Uh, including the movie by that. Uh, weird German guy, Paul Verhoeven. I mean, not German, Dutch. Uh, his first movie, Spetters, is very good. People should check it out. But so is Starship Troopers. Mm -hmm. so, but what's cool about that is, like, the book you're writing is that. It, it, like, it is that story of the young, handsome soldier. Well, he's a, he's a show jumper, I think is the term, which... I don't know. Did you look yeah. at the history of like the Nazis and ho pony tricks? <laughs> like, did, was that a thing or is that you put it in there? I did a little bit of research, but I realized I didn't really care and I wanted well, that's it to the best way to, yeah. to take so it. If, it becomes, yeah. if that makes it my, my thought right, is that you right. will, um, you will wake up those ghosts as that you would wake up the, <laughs> 
what he unleashed was the spirits of nationalism. Like all those weird German fans, the germophiles are going to find you and like, it'll be interesting. I feel like you'll get a lot of interaction with that book. I like what you're talking about, though, uh, about about the sort of, uh, you know, life as performance and what that means on a sort of national scale, Mm. especially when it comes to like, you know, uh, Nazi propaganda specifically because they were saying, you know, and they were putting on these big lavish parades while they're just getting their fucking shit kicked in on both fronts, you know, Mm -hmm. but they're, they're still putting on these big, like huge parades and having, yeah, having gone to the Eastern front. And gotten injured and then going back and, you know, parading around as some uh, victorious war hero type figure. I think that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what I like most about... Yeah. Yeah. I think what I like most about the character that I've created about him so far is that he's a liar. Which I think any... If you're going to write a character from this, you should at least... Have, something terrible about him which that's one of the terrible things he's just a constant liar and so but it becomes it it can be endearing sometimes i think you need to be able to have a main you're gonna have a main character be a bad guy he has to still be endearing and so the idea of him being a stoler storyteller when he's trying to win over the love of this girl from his hometown who's always looked down on him because he was never within her class right you know and then what you have happened in germany this is another history thing that doesn't really matter to if you just want to read the book you don't need to know this but um you know, you have this time where there is a pseudo revolution happening, where there's a pseudo class, um, almost like class is being, working class is being exalted in a pseudo way. It's not really, but within the party, ostensibly, working class people are now great, you know, working class, that's awesome. And so like, you know, in trying to be endearing to this girl, like he is asked by one of her little brothers about his wound and how he got it. And so he has this lavish storytelling about the gigantic Russian brute who comes up from behind him and they're fighting in the dirt and, you know, he throws dirt in his eye and he does this thing. And then finally, like those sisters had enough. He's like, okay, you need to stop now. No more stories like this. But I think that my main goal now at this point as a writer, as I continue to write books, because I think I'm just going to continue to write them, whether they make money or not, is to try to find ways to make characters very true to life, um, very bad the way that bad people are. And most people are just bad in general. And understanding them through a lens of like, people like this did live and there probably were really people who tried to make what they did endearing, knowing full well that they were horrible, horrible people. And, you know, because in the post-war period, if that did happen, it could have only happened at the time that I'm trying to write about it because at the post-war period, it's unthinkable to talk about. You know, as it should have. Is the story the he tells true, or is that evidence of his uh, unreliability as a narrator? Just out of curiosity. That's a good question. I haven't thought about that yet. So it's open to the probably because it reminds. I would assume so. Reminds me of uh, well, there's the Roberto Benigni movie "Life Is Beautiful," uh, where it's him and his son in a concentration camp, and he's convincing his son that everything that's happening in the game, uh, which won like a bunch of Oscars. It kind of mm. didn't, it have faded out of memory. It's it, Jim Jarmusch has coffee and cigarettes. The Roberto Benigni's in it. I think Roberto Benigni's great. But a lot of people like in hindsight hated on it mm-hmm. probably because it's like a challenging subject or whatnot. But that too, 
even that description, mm-hmm. once again, it reminds me of this, like the, the male fantasies book where it is these descriptions of the cavalier like this. And the uh, Britain had the same thing with like their wars. There's a hero named Flashman and shit. And then like the way we see it now is the Marvel universe. But it was it came out of these like nationalistic identities. And Marvel is like the wor- a the worst thing in the world. But I'm not saying but it's like it's cool because it touches on this like history of pulp pulp novel uh and like this mm-hmm. swashbuckling novel but i'm excited <laughs> and that's a yeah i expect that one to get a, a lot of attention positive and negative just from like the context i hope i hope it <laughs> but you do want controversy controversy always yeah. works well if it helped yeah if it helps though what i hope will piss people off who the wrong people who get attention about it i hope it'll piss them off that i am actually jewish on my mom's mm-hmm. side so that's know, the only like, side that matters that for what you will because that can be <laughs> yeah. exactly right no but like that's people can get really like pissed off when they find something that they like and then they find that out about them and seeing their reaction to that is awesome Did you so, you know hopefully that prevents people from thinking that i birthright. don't know what that is is that a website to find no, birthright is when if you're of jewish descent you can go to israel for a free trip and you get to ride water slides and shoot machine guns and stuff i think i'm not no. interested not interested at all i would go on it i'm not allowed no, to i gotta figure out how to fake it <laughs> sounds fun free trip you know yeah. water slide love Matt, water slides you want to use <laughs> yeah I, I can use your credentials <laughs> yeah <laughs> hank ellis absolutely I'll i think we should uh, yeah i'll go my family knows their history we should support yeah. this this should be the next move we'll send, Matt goes to send matt to israel <laughs> yeah. account, matt. matt goes to israel send matt send fake jew to israel <laughs> these old bones can't handle that heat in jerusalem but matt goes to jerusalem <laughs> Sam. You need to get off Newfoundland. Absolutely can't you handle that. Go, you got to go to the real. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Go find the land of your ancestors. <laughs> I think I said in the pre. I, I'm not going to go back to that. Actually, I'll leave that where it is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what you were saying. You could. That could be the subject. Yeah, of the I mean, <laughs> Israel's always yeah. a touchy subject, but it, it it's the hit. There's a lot of history there. Like I would absolutely love to visit. Like so, so I mean, I want to visit the whole damn world mm-hmm. because, but I, you know, I yeah, no, I would definitely visit Israel if I was given the chance, just to yeah, see like see this sort of historical place, see what it's like now, yeah, get a feel for it. And don't don't get me wrong, like the betaverse. On- <laughs> oh no, he's gone. Well, he got cut out for saying oh, <laughs> Damn. Is that what happens when you try to be yeah, a so. pro-Palestine on, River- that really does on happen. Riverside? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> See why so, I didn't say we're pro-Israel. We're pro-Israel. No, no. <laughs> Wait, okay, no, no. Yeah. No, we better add that out. Yeah, yeah. Um, now it's back, but it cut it to two. <laughs> it does. Riverside listens to certain words. I won't... Uh, Indulge conspiracy theories, but I'm just going to say a with very those, specific like, river. Yeah, I don't know the. Uh, yeah, people are just born in Israel and they have no say over it. Same way you're born in Australia or Canada. Like Canada and Australia, are like Israel, we did a bunch of bad shit too. Yeah. And, well, you got a whole Bible talking about what the Israelis used. To, they certainly weren't that nice five thousand years ago. They killed a bunch of people. Um, 
No. But that's just one of those things. I don't think we'll solve it. <laughs> on the, on the I, honestly, man, drop me off yeah. in Israel. I will have this shit solved. All right, we'll we'll start the GoFundMe. Maybe, yeah. Like Pat, we were talking to Patrick on um, about list, and he said uh, they had nobody on Patreon until they started. Uh, they wanted him to go to Jollibee in California to eat a weird sandwich, and <laughs> they got like a bunch of people supporting it. So we need to send Matt to Israel. <laughs> hey guys, I'm Hey guys, I'm so sorry. This has been really great. You have to go. This has been really great, but I, I do have to go. Yeah, no, it's, it's getting late. No, that's absolutely fine. I was just about to say the same thing. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Hank, for taking the time. Thank Everybody you. check out uh, Hank Lee's on Instagram. Oh, yeah, so it's, it's Hank Lee's H-A-E-N-K-U-L-E-S on Instagram. It's just that. Um, so you can follow me on there, and then there's going to be a link tree if you want to go look at the book. The book is called an Argonaut Sales for Jerusalem, and coming soon, hopefully within this year, 2023, we're going to have that third book out. Um, love is a desire never to be fulfilled, so I will be looking forward to releasing more of that to all my wonderful followers and you guys out there in the Betaverse. Um, thank you all so much for... Betaverse. Betaverse. Betaverse.